The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. The views expressed by the hosts and guests of the Comic Book Chronicles are the opinions of said hosts and guests. They do not reflect the opinions of the Comic Book Chronicles, the Click Nation, or the Coast Leather Podcast Network in any part. Thank you. Spoilers. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the Comic Book Chronicles. I am your host, Ryder Cat, and you can find me at Ryder Cat on Twitter, and you can find me at News Nerds Need on Twitter, and you can find me at CB Caps on Instagram. South Carolina with Columbia down the way. And the sound effect you hear comes from none other than our man in Brooklyn. One agent underscore 70 on Twitter and Instagram. What's up, everybody? Hello, Brooklyn! <laughs> uh, and you can find this here program on... The Coast of the Podcast Network, that's CSPN.us. Do it today. You can also find us on this on your podcast principal place of choice, whether it be Google Play, Apple iTunes, aka Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the Coast of the Podcast Network's SoundCloud page. And uh, folks, if the name was not indicative of anything, we are here to talk comic books. Surprise, surprise. We might talk a few other things, but you know, sometimes it's mainly comic books. Um, and we're going to start off with, oh shoot, I know, something. Uh, Heroes Reborn, number five. Wow, we are actually up to number five. That's amazing to me. <laughs> I know, right? You know, they're coming out on a weekly basis, so that, you know, they're, they're keeping a, a pretty uh, tight publishing schedule on this. So, you know, they're moving this along. Um, Thank you. As we mentioned, as we've mentioned over the last several weeks, uh, Heroes Reborn is taking the place of the Avengers book as well as the place of several of the uh, core Avengers titles, a uh, core Avengers uh, solo titles, that is, uh, Captain America, uh, Thor, and Iron Man, although. Um, I think they they mainly paused in May because I think there's some more coming out in June now. So wait, is so, there still some left for Cap? I thought Cap. Well, no, that's right because he started. Yeah, he's. That's right. Cap still got a couple of issues to go before it ends, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. I think they. I I don't think they're holding off so much on Cap, but I think they might have held off a month right. because I they definitely held off on Iron Man because I know Iron Man is coming out next week, so they, they probably held off mostly in May. But anyway, mm-hmm. getting to the uh, creative team on this book, uh, it's written by Jason Aaron with art by R.M. Guerra, uh, colors by Giulia Brusco, and uh, we have a second story uh, with pencils by Ed McGinnis, with inks by Mark Morales, and colors by Matthew Wilson. Both stories are lettered by VCs Corey Pettit. So... Again, 
if you've been keeping up with these Heroes Reborn uh, main miniseries issues, they have focused upon members of the Squadron Supreme of America, uh, you know, individual members by issue. So this issue is the, the the focus of this issue is Nighthawk, the erstwhile Batman of the Marvel Universe. Although in this issue, <laughs> as Roddy Cat and I were mentioning just prior to the show, not only is the origin of this version of Nighthawk taken from or adapted from that of one caped crusader over at the Distinguished Con- Competition, but also is adapted heavily from the origin of one Peter Parker, the amazing Spider-Man. And there are subtle and not so subtle nods throughout the entire first story that show you how they have taken these two characters, these two flagship characters of two gigantic comic book companies and and melded them into what this Nighthawk character uh, is. I thought it was pretty interesting that, you know, I, uh, how they decided to pick and choose where they wanted to take things from. Right. And we, and one part, which we'll, we will talk about with one of the, um, the, the tie-in issues, uh, which gets brought up in, in this issue is definitely lifted from lifted heavily. It's amazing. You know, so here's the thing. One, you can call this heroes retold. <laughs> that's, that's definitely so. I was about to say, I think we found our title for the show. Thank exactly. Um, because uh, the way they have uh, the um, interwoven is, 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 is sort of said to uh, the the two. I don't want to say obvious uh, parallels. The, the, definitely the one kind of obvious parallel to to, to, to DC, but definitely kind of uh, lifted a, a popular Marvel com- comic uh, character for some for some stuff. I I gotta admit, you can kind of groan at it, but it's actually almost impressive um, I dare say because it's like okay yeah so you, you you already got the premise of this one that's kind of this character but then you can it's like well yeah this also this other character who you know well uh, has some stuff that's kind of similar to that but also like yeah here's a story beat uh, storyline that uh, you can kind of kind of just like you know, stitch in <laughs> to, to, to make things uh to make things even more obvious and spicy. So, um, yeah, and, and, and nothing says that more than one, this, and two, like the, the tie-in, uh, but actually both of the tie-in issues, honestly, in, in slightly respects, because you get a little bit more, um, which we'll talk about in a second, briefly, uh, or not in a second, but in a minute or two, briefly, because you can kind of see where that comes into play. Um, but you can definitely see that Jason Aaron seemed to have a lot of fun kind of putting these together. Like the, the one thing I was going to say, um, uh, the or last, last thing I was going to say was like, yeah, it's kind of amazing. Like it can, you can be, you can write it off as it being lazy because you know, as much comic book history as there is, you can pretty much take, well, here's a couple of, here's a, uh, you know, here's a parallel to this. Here's a parallel to that. And here's some, you know, here's some story beats that, um, that yeah, that can definitely be lifted, and had probably has in other ways in other books. You know that can be, um, you know that can be mined. Let's say for material. In this case, because of the, um, be, because of the catalyst of this whole universe, or because of this this um, 
this Heroes Reborn event and the universe that it's setting itself in, you can kind of play with that a little bit more, a little more directly, um, so that it is actually not as lazy as you would think it would be. It would be like, well, I mean, it's, it is in a sense, but in a way it is not. Because if you think about, the, like I said, the, the premise of this thing and that there's no Avengers and Spider-Man and everybody else is not even there anymore, like, okay, so you can take some of that stuff and be like, so here's what happens if it happens to, in this situation, which kind of lends it to being a little bit fun, even if it is still a little, could be considered a little lazy, but it's still pretty fun. I, I have to admit that. I've 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 enjoyed this so far mm-hmm. just to see I guess because I was never all that familiar with the Squadron Supreme from their uh initial appearances in Avengers and the Squadron Sinister I don't I you know I admit to not having read the Mark Grunwald mm-hmm. um miniseries where I think a lot of those characters get fleshed out but that's the beautiful thing about this, this is like okay here's parallels to like yeah you might not have but here's some parallels that kind of can get you there mm-hmm. even if you're not familiar with the stuff like yeah it's not a one to one and yeah this is a, a you know a kind of a separate thing a, a retelling uh in a different light but you can still get there with the uh, heroes are born with these with these characters because of the uh what the the similar stuff that they use um i think this one is definitely the the least um let's say american centric because you know as we saw in uh hyperion and blur it's like there's a lot of oh yeah i stand for truth just as an american you know the good old american way and all that kind of business but there's less of that in this even though you know uh nighthawk is not the captain of uh industry that he was you know in his original um in his original origin but the he does have a higher position, you know, in, in this uh in this light that's I guess could be kind of similar. You know, in in a way. Like he's he's basically a con he well, he is a congressman. Um and he is even uh outside of this. Like in the regular Avengers book when everything goes back together, he's that's kind of what he's hiding out as. Exactly. So there's like they're kind of using uh, a lot of that, which means that they're setting this in, in DC. Uh, so this and the design issues this week are set in DC, and you get some familiar beats of other stories and and, uh, and other characters, but now set in DC. Right. Although I did laugh when RM Guerra's art uh, for the uh, the demise of the Falcon. Um, doesn't translate. I did flip through, you know, and, and I know Roddy Cat's going to talk about these books, but uh, R.M. Guerra still draws the the bridge as the Brooklyn Bridge when it's supposed to be the Chesapeake Bay Bridge, and I laughed. I was like, oh, wait, this isn't right. <laughs> right. It was like, you know what? That's, that's, it doesn't matter for that. You know what this is. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bridge. You know what, what exactly. the, uh, the parallel you're supposed to draw is. Exactly. So I don't know if uh, if there was anything more on on the Heroes Reborn number five you got to say. No, just that the backup story is oh, right. uh, Black Panther uh, centric. It's just a quickie uh, how the, you know it's a quickie look into how um, Captain America and Blade are slowly but surely uh, gathering the, the the actual Avengers in this reality. Right. So do we? Yeah. Do we call them wait Black 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 Ronin? 
Blade, uh, <laughs> Blade Panther, not Blade Panther. Uh, um, um, He's just Ronin. Ronin Anybody can take up the Ronin. Yeah. You know? But he does still morph back into his, uh, his um, Black Panther uh, costume, which is like, because at first I was like, oh, wait, so why is Blade using the Ronin uh, get up again? And then it's time to find out, oh, right. <laughs> this is the thing they've been doing the whole, this whole time. Um, in like fact, anybody like, who's looking to go undercover takes up the Ronin mantle, right? Pretty much. And speaking of, if I'm not mistaken, um, I think they get they, it gets also get touched on in the main. Uh, yeah, it does get touched on in the main stuff because doesn't he kind of um, he catches wind of what um, Blade and Steve are doing with um, with uh, Echo? Like they broke her out. I think that happens in this issue at the end of this. I want to say that happened earlier because this issue was all about uh, just a, a, a brief dust up with um, uh, Nighthawk. Right. It happens before this, I think, where uh, where Nighthawk and Black Panther run into each other. I no, think. No, no, in... no, no, no. I mean, where where Nighthawk is, is pretty much at is, is his night cave, and or maybe that's something. Maybe that's one of the other ones. Yeah, that might be in one of the Titans. I'm not sure. I know what you're talking about. I, I remember seeing it. Yeah. Because this all kind of blown together. Like I said, I read them all back to back, and it was like, yeah, just, right, right, right. So I was about to say, look who's binging now. So, <laughs> well, and to be fair though, because these are like, you know, the same thing with the Hyperion one. There was like the the Titans were, at the very least, uh, you know, stuff stuff in the in the main book kind of tied into the Titan books. Right. Um, and this one is no exception, but kind of um, more so. Because, like I said, there's a thing that comes up in Heroes of War and 5 that gets alluded to that we've seen, you know, that we've got news on that happens in one of the other ones, uh, which we can, I guess we can kind of go ahead and, and get into um, real quick. Because there's really not much to say about it, but uh, to, to see about these other tie-in books is just uh, so. And like I was telling uh, HS70 prior to the show, it's like, yeah, if you've read Heroes of War and 5, you kind of get the, um, and you see what is being alluded to for, uh, in the tie-ins, then you don't. You can read them for a little bit extra context, but you pretty much know what you're getting into with the, with those tie-ins. Um, and one of them we already had news about, so it was like, like we did not know that was coming. Uh, that being said, though, I actually kind of want to... Um, See if uh, Heroes Reborn is is, is, that, is what I'm thinking about. in Heroes Reborn happens in that, and that's or not the other ones. But we need to actually move on. Um, Let's cover the creative teams on those books. Yeah, go for it. I was gonna say I didn't read them. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> skimmed them. Yeah. You got You're it. Right. Right. I got it. Hold <laughs> on, give me a second because I gotta close. Why is this thing not one? I was gonna say I'll, I'll read them off your notes. No, no, no. Um, I got it. 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 So. Just kind of live broad, uh, live podcasting, folks. Live broadcasting on YouTube. Yeah, indeed. Okay, yeah. So and... that was in Heroes and Vora. That was definitely the the whole breakout thing with um with Steve and Steve and Blade. And yeah, he did kind of catch wind of it in the main story. So mm-hmm. uh, I guess we'll first go to hmm. Sure, why not? Um, Mar- Heroes Reborn Marvel Double Action Number One, which is written by Tim Seeley. Uh, pencils by Dan Jurgens, uh, uh, inks by Scott Hanna, uh, colors by Chris Sotomayor, 
uh, letters by VCs Corey Pettit. I think you should, well, you if you've skimmed if you haven't skimmed it, you kind of should because you can. I one the one thing I can safely say I, I enjoyed about this one was the old school feel of it. Like they totally took a, a classic spin of it, inc- including down to the footnotes down at the bottom of the pages. Yes, uh, I uh, did see that. This is the this is the one that deals with um, uh, what happens to uh, the Falcon, right? Mm-hmm. That's correct. So I did skim this one, so I definitely recognize, especially those notes at the bottom of the pages. Mm-hmm. So if you are, uh, if you're of a certain search of vintage and remember a certain Spider-Man um, storyline having to do with a particular person's uh, fate, you will very much understand uh, what what goes on in this book. Not even a believer; it is totally that. But there, with a couple of you know. You know, with a couple of um, um, updates, twists. You know, obviously it's Nighthawk instead of Spidey. Um, it's Falcon instead of this person. Uh, excuse me, it's Falcon instead of this person. Uh, you know, the Goblin is still there. You know, the, the, it's, it's, um, it's Norman Osborn. You know, so most of the beats of that one, this one particular storyline is totally, totally there. And like I said, I kind of groaned at it, but at the same time, I kind of chuckled at it. It was like they they really just did this whole thing, um, mm-hmm. and that's what made it all amusing because it was like, okay, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so basically, um, and this has been in the news, so kind of spoiler alert. But this is, um, um, and it was, it was alluded to in Heroes Born Born Number Five. Though this is uh, the story of how um, Night. Hawk lost his former partner, or Batman lost a Robin. It it is almost literal, <laughs> right, 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 right. Exactly, yeah. but it's adapted. Uh, it's adapted into the story of uh, uh, Peter Parker losing somebody. Exactly, it's, and, and even if you, you see, if you're watching the video, you can see the cover, so you can definitely see. And if you know anything about that storyline, you can definitely see it. Exactly. I mean, it's hard for us to spoil a storyline that old, right? But we're kind of dancing around it so that you don't, you know, get completely spoiled on everything. I wanted to mention that um, uh, Dan Jurgens definitely ad- adapts his style to, ref- to 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 mimic or at least resemble some of the, you know, so like, you know, uh, John Romita Jr. style art. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a couple of shots in here of Gwen, um, you know, mild spoiler alert. Um, uh uh, of this version of Gwen Stacy, I'm just like, oh man, they really went, you know, hard into um, the old style. Mm-hmm. And then there's a depiction of um, Greer Grant. I'm like, va 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 voom, Greer right. Grant. Holy cow! Like, yeah, I was like, wait, what's Tiger doing here? <laughs> like, Damn, Greer Grant. <laughs> you know, you know, I, 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 I was just kind of like, oh goodness, what the heck? Is, you know, what is Dan Jurgens drawing here? So right. Yeah, let's forget Greg Grant was, I believe she was a model or something uh, at that at that time. But I was like, I don't remember her having anything to do with that. But, uh, you know, it was, there There was a reason why she got put in here. And there was a reason why they're drawing from, and they're, and have Gwen in here. Because I think there's a, because I know they alluded to it also in uh, the main book that uh, of another tie-in that's going to happen. Well, I think that's next week is what you said earlier. Exactly. Um, exactly. Exactly. So that's the other reason. And I have a strange feeling that it's probably going to tie into to the events of this book. Um, because it, More and, than- even, and even in this book, there's, there's some allusion to it. Because even uh, before what happens to Falcon, he kind of mentions 
It's like, oh yeah, we need to put some, bring some more people into the fold. Um, maybe this person, nah, maybe that person, maybe Gwen. You know, nah, she's right. too young. So, <laughs> right. I think that I think that particular adaptation is going to be more Batman centric. Yes, totally. So, all right. And what's the other one? Uh, and the other one is Heroes Born American Knights, which is a play on Marvel Knights, obviously. Um, and the creative team is. Let me go ahead and get the uh, the books up. Real quick. Let me say they cover up real quick. I was going to say this one. I I I I I barely skimmed. I didn't have a chance to really dedicate any reading time to it. Mm-hmm. But I noticed, you know, the characters that they were adapting. And as Roddy Cat said, these are the Marvel Knights group of heroes minus the Inhumans. Yes. Um, so this is written by Paul Grist, uh, art by Chris Allen and Mark Deering. Color artist uh, Guru EFX and letters by VCs Corey Pettit, who's who's been busting his ass this week apparently. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple of letters over at Visual Comic Craft who did a lot of work this week, who had a lot of books come out. So as uh, Agent Seventy said, um, yeah, this is, is well as we as I said and, and as, as Agent Seventy said, it's like um this is pretty much the, the Marvel Knights uh, minus uh, as Agent Seventy said minus the Inhumans. But this is also a take on Gotham Knights, in a way. Or not Gotham Knights, I should say. More, more GCPD, I guess, uh, I suppose. Because Luke Cage is basically Commissioner Gordon <laughs> in this. Um, uh, and he does show up in the main book also. Um, and, and I believe also, well, yeah, also Marvel Double Action of One also shows up. So, and it gets a little bit more into that. But, um, so, yeah, Luke's Commissioner Gordon, Daredevil shows up, but not, uh, um, but not in the same way as you know him, kind of. And because of, I keep forgetting about that whole Mephisto thing, but they've really been playing the, the Mephisto thing up a little bit more in the last couple of weeks. And in, the, in these couple of issues, they've been, there's been some more definitely, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, ties to that because Mephisto gets brought up a good bit, especially in this American Knights number, uh, uh, this American Knights book, because you know when Matt Murdock shows up, he's a cleric for Mephisto. Really? Yes. That's wild. So, spoiler alert for that, but it doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, uh, but I, I say all of that to say that hey, you know, you might want to. It's it's. Let's just wait. It's interesting the way they use Daredevil in, the, in this uh, in this issue. I'll put it that way. Regardless, let's get back to it. Um, so we can go ahead and finish out uh, Heroes. Hey, you were saying, spoiler alert. Uh, Daredevil in this reality is a cleric, or a, you know, a, a, a priest. Or, or a, yeah. a what? He's basically a priest from Mephisto. Because Mephisto exactly. is the god here, and they, they like I said, they they don't shy away from the fact that of bringing it up a few different times between this and the main book, and guess, and the other tie-in book. Um, but there's obvious, some obvious differences. Like I said, I won't go in through the whole thing about the obvious differences, but like I said, they use their different Daredevil and Matt Murdock in, in, in an interesting kind of interesting way here, uh, and his. Um, they don't go into it, but his uh, backstory is definitely has changed, obviously, with what I just told you. Um, but also, let's see. Let me make sure. Okay. 
That's still going there. Get back to my notes. So, um, yeah, listen. Lucas Commissioner Gordon uh, did I was using a weird way. Missy Knight and Jessica Jones, not Colleen Wing, are detectives. So, um, there's this one police person that kind of, police dude that um, plays out in a certain way that kind of reminds me of Clarence Boddicker from uh, Robocop in a slight way, in looks, rather, if, if nothing else. So that part is kind of funny. Um, but this, but this, uh, the main gist of this American Knights story is because it focuses on Luke and is a, um, uh, an investigation on something I won't really go into, but there, there was, let's just say, involved in this and some other stuff involved with Nightwing, uh, Nighthawk. He has the same relationship uh, to Nighthawk as uh, Gordon does to. Um, to Batman. So again, you can see the parallels here. There's even a, a Nightwing sig- uh, night night signal. Um, you know, that gets used a couple of good times here. And there's also I can't remember if it's this. I know is I may it may be Heroes Born number 5, but there is a um I know Kyle Richmond uh says something about a superhero bill almost like the superhero registration act that he's trying to get passed even though he's you know, you know he's moonlighting as a, a, a as a caped uh, crusader <laughs> himself. So that's kind of weird, and some of that kind of comes up in this book. Um, and of course, you know, like I said, the, the stuff that Gordon would you know has to deal with running the police station, being quote unquote friends with a uh, with a cape, uh, but also having these other uh, you know uh, costume people running around. So that little bit of that kind of comes into play here. Uh, that's not Colleen, is it? Huh. Is that supposed to be Colleen Wing? Because she's got brown hair. No, it's, it's Jessica Jones. Oh, okay. That's what I thought. Right. It is. It, is, it looks like... Yeah, so I thought, so I thought at first I was like, okay, so it's Jessica Jones dressed as Colleen would, basically. Mm, okay. Yeah. Because uh, as you skim through it, even I think even in what you're seeing, he was like Jones. So, so, mm, which implies... That's what I was looking yeah, yeah, which implies they have has some history, which is ends up not being the history that we know them apparently. And I think right. it does come up; it gets briefly comes up uh, later in the issue. Um, you know, kind of a one off one off line or two. So it's kind of fun. Yeah. But like that. But regardless, like that, this whole thing plays off like a um, kind of like a uh, maybe like a GCPD story uh, that uh, Batman just happens to come in. I mean, excuse me, um, Night Nighthawk happens to come in on at a certain point but it is kind of sort of focused around Luke um which in itself is like you know what that's not a bad that's um they you know you can look at it one way but it's actually they kind of folded the two in pretty well like as much as like like Luke Luke Cage is not a, you know, it's not a, a bulletproof. Um, matter of fact, they even talk about that part. Why he's not, how he's not bulletproof, which means he doesn't have his powers and stuff like that. And they they say something about that a couple of times in the, in the course of this issue. So, um, but you know, it's like, yeah, okay, he's commissioner, and met they do, and they also bring up the fact that, um, you know, so that he had been in prison in the beginning of this, but you know, they kind of use that in service of the story and not necessarily. Um, as a thing, to, you know. So it's kind of amusing what they chose to, what parts of the origins they that they chose to use, and what um, 
you know, and how they played it out here. So I would say I don't. I'm not going to sit here and say that neither one of these tie issues are necessary, but they are interesting to a point, especially the Marvel double action one because that one, like the the um, Heroes Reborn number five, kind of brings that up a little bit more than the American Knights, but but uh, Knights, but um, like I said, you get a little bit more context on Luke. Uh, Luke Cage, uh, you know, in, in in relation to both of those stories. Uh, you know, what's that? What's that? at the end of Marvel Double Action, there's a letters page. Yes, they make up a letters page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's oh. hysterical. Oh yeah, and and during the course of that issue, and, and they even have like speckling on the on the corners of the page to resemble like an older comic that may have seen some. May have been in a basement or something, right? And the, uh, and like I said, that whole thing with uh, how they do the, um, you know, the footnoting and the uh, in, in and the, even the stuff at the bottom of the page, and it's like, you know, and they allude to issues of Nighthawk that, um, you know, that are probably not real, but you know, in the service of this universe or in this world, you know, it is something because usually a lot of stuff, you know, it would tie back to something actual. I don't know if these those that they did will or have right. because a couple of them didn't seem familiar, and I don't think I don't know if there's any other tie-ins that's going to to to, to um, bear that out. But the the whole treatment of it was done pretty well, and, I, and for that, I respect it. <laughs> I can safely say that I, I I can respect it for that, and the the especially with the the Marvel double action, like I said. Um, and what they do with that story. That being said, um, I'm, I'm trying to remember if there was anything else. It was funny. I didn't even realize that Greer Grant is actually Greer Nelson. Right. Because it's like, well, it's, yeah, because it's like Greer Nelson Grant or something. Or Greer Grant Nelson, if I'm right. not mistaken. Yeah. Right. I'm just not as familiar with Tigra or right. Tigra. You know, I think yeah. it actually is Tigra because Tigra is with the Y. Yeah, I like. I, I'm I'm sticking to Tigra. <laughs> I've been saying it for you know. Tigra is the Thundercat. Tigra, I think, is the is the Marvel character, but I could be wrong. But I think it's honestly, the same way, though. I'd have to consult any other times that uh, her name is pronounced audibly somewhere, like on a TV show or something. I wouldn't say that might have come up on that uh, '90s. Um, well, that would have come up on that '90s uh, Avengers show. Right. So that's an that's one reason. Isn't that on Disney Plus? Uh, yes, it is. I think that might be the only reason for me to go back and check that out, having never watched it. I watched it when it was on, and yeah, it's not great, but it's it's it was fun and for what we had, and it was you know, it was basically force works. Right. So, <laughs> well, so I, as I, I take said, it back. That's the, the only Iron reason Man for me to go back and consult it. Right. It was it was a mixture of force works because actually force works was um was the Iron Man show was the nineties Iron Man show, which I think is also on there. Right, right. I think it is, too. I think so, it is, too. Anyway, that so, um, moving on. What's next? Uh, we said we were going to go into uh, Marauders, number 21, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. I am going to uh, segue over to the opening of the Hellfire Gala. So, we talked about this last week, where, uh, like, like somehow we have made it into June of 2021 and the Hellfire Gala 2021 is in full swing. 
we got our invitation. Well, we technically didn't get invitations to the Hellfire Gala. <laughs> Although, you know, anyone who has the comic has an invitation. But some people, some special people, really got Hellfire Gala invitations in the mail. Um, you know, they got, like, this cool swag box with Hellfire uh, Gala stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I don't know if you've seen any of that stuff on social media. But anyway, getting back to the book. This book is uh, created by, as I scroll up to my own notes, busy looking at Roddy Katz for the other books. It is written by Jerry Duggan with art by Matteo Loli, colors by Edgar Delgado, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Uh, heads up, folks, this is a potential click of the week for me. Uh, bear in mind, there is also a backup story that is a reprint of an old classic X-Men backup story uh, by uh, Chris Claremont and John Bolton and edited by Anne Nascenti. I had noticed that. I was like, oh, that totally dates when that story was published. Right. So, as I said, this is the opening uh, of the uh, Hellfire Gala. So, this is an adaptation as it were, of the Met, you know, the Metropolitan Museum of Art Gala, which is, you know, like a big uh, fashion uh, 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 thing where, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a fundraiser for the Metropolitan Museum of Art here in New York City. So it's a big social thing. It's a big social event with lots of um, uh, uh, fashionistas and fashion statements and themes and whatnot. And the Hellfire Gala is not a, a, a new thing either. The gala itself has happened over the years at the Hellfire Club when it was based in New York City. And uh, a lot of times they happened over, uh, you know, in celebration of, uh, of a concurrent holiday. You know, oftentimes it was Christmas. So in this case, uh, the Krakowans the and the Hellfire Club are, are throwing a bash, the Hellfire Gala, and... You know, we know from having read some of the solicits and some of the news articles that the basis of this is there are multiple bases for having this gala. One of them being the introduction of an actual um, team of X-Men that are going to be, you know, the superhero team of Krakoa. But there are other things afoot, which is what which is where we start this issue. So we start this issue as dignitaries and guests. Uh, are being uh, brought into the uh, brought into the party, the gala by Krakoan gates, which are now activated to allow humans to go through. Mm-hmm. Which is which I thought was a really quirky thing. I was like, well, of course that makes sense, and of course they wouldn't let everybody know that they could do it, right? Until now, right? So that was one really. Uh, interesting bit of information that was dropped on us right off the bat. Uh, as we go through these opening pages, we are treated to some guest appearances by some people who we have been uh, teased. Uh, who, you know, we've been teased with information that they would be making appearances throughout the pages of the Hellfire Gala. I spotted um, right away. I, I want to say that is. Um, the uh, one of the folks behind the Modoc uh, series on um, uh, on Hulu. Oh, uh, Jordan Bloom or or Pat Oswalt? Yeah, no, that, I think that's Pat Oswalt with hmm. uh, J. Jonah Jameson. Oh, you know what? I didn't pay that. You did say, yeah, I didn't pay that close attention to the, some of the best. I did see J. Jonah, but I didn't pay attention to who was around him. 
Right. It's, I think that's Patton Oswalt. Um, you know, we get a little bit of, you know, there's there, there's some stories that are, are some story threads that are uh, picked up on and advanced in this uh, uh, in this issue. We do get a little bit of interplay between the Fantastic Four and um, the X-Men or the, the mutants of Krakoa yes. that, you know, that there's a little bit of a, a, a story touched upon there. Um Right. And, you know, as I'm kind of flipping dealings. through this, we actually get a little bit of a, a tease of, uh, or at least a callback to Generation X mm-hmm. between uh, Emma Frost and Banshee. Uh, we we get a, a, a great little interaction between uh, pseudo interaction, some, something of an interaction between Captain America and, and Emma Frost, which is pretty funny, which ends up being pretty funny, actually, on, uh, on, uh, you know, with uh, Emma Frost's reaction to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see who else. There's a couple. There's always faces that make you think that the artist, that Matteo Loli in this issue and in other issues, that the artists were were you know they were tasked with doing um, a decent likeness, but um, it doesn't. As I was telling Roddy Cat just before we started, the person just isn't famous enough to me. They might be very famous, but just not famous enough to me for me to pick up their likeness off the bat. But I did spot Megan Rapino and her wife, uh, Sue Bird, um, in one of the pages. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just flipping past it now. Um, Megan Rapino is a, uh, you know, a, a soccer star and, and Sue Bird is a WNBA, you know, a USA basketball star. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but, but by and large, this opening of the Hellfire Gala is pretty fun until we get to the welcome to the party. So the, the credits page is placed very interestingly towards the end of the issue. And once you hit the credits page, we get a flash forward to a later in the evening. And that's a theme that I want to remind that, that I want to mention to everyone that a lot of this stuff, just like in 24, the TV show, a lot of this stuff is happening during certain periods of time on the evening of the Hellfire Gala. Right. And uh, these issues are um, touching upon certain aspects of that evening. So as we get to the end of Marauders 21, we have a flash forward towards the end of the well, not maybe not the end of the night, but towards the end of that particular evening and something happens something is revealed during the course of the gala which uh, has a bunch of guests not feeling great maybe they're a little disconcerted concerned it's hard to tell because they definitely play it off as part of the mystery that they're going to unfold over the course of the hellfire gala issues so that's where we end off uh here with marauders 21 now you actually can full uh the 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 reading order that is revealed at the end of this book right and uh bear in mind that these the reading order is actually color-coded and the first issue of uh, uh, in this uh, Hellfire Gala story is coded red, Marauders 21, whereas the next three issues are coded black, but the next red issue is X-Men 21. So I think that is supposed to be an important issue. Right. After that, um, you get to Planet Size X-Men number one is a red issue. And Sword number six, I think I may have to add that to my pull list to 
to uh, to to find out what's going on, you know, to see uh, maybe something important happening in the Hellfire Gala um, in these books. So uh, make sure to pay attention to that reading order. And next in the reading order for this week is X Force number twenty, which is written by Benjamin Percy, with art by Joshua Kassara, colors by Guru EFX. And letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. So as I mentioned earlier, these tie-in issues often cover, I know, or at least for the for the, the the small sample size that we have this week, seem to cover certain aspects of what we saw in uh, other issues. In this case, what we saw in Marauders number twenty-one, we see a little bit more of the Iron Man and Quentin Quire interaction played out here. In this issue, we also see some plot threads that have been happening in the pages of X-Force carried forward into uh, subplots of what's happening during the Hellfire Club and what and how certain guests are being treated and uh, how certain people are actually invited, surprisingly enough, to uh, function on Krakoa. When I say that, I specifically mean that you wouldn't expect to see some of these uh, characters who don't necessarily have positive views of the mutants based on, you know, stories that have happened previously in these particular titles. And you see them popping up in the pages of um, uh, the Hellfire Gala. And uh, I've, I've, I've adapted Gala as the way I'm going to pronounce it because I've heard Gala, but I think Gala is better and easier to say. Mm-hmm. So um, in this issue, the, the X-Force issue, we have um, some stuff happening from the Terra Verde um, uh Storyline with the 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 Floronics, the Telefloronics, uh, from previous issues of X Force, and that stuff is carrying forward. And I don't want to spoil what's happening here, but it definitely is something that um, the the Quiet Council may not be looking too kindly upon, and um, some of the plans that were. Uh, Put into motion by members of X Force may be about to backfire on them. So that really is the gist of what happens in X Force number twenty. Now moving on to Hellions number twelve. Uh, just give me a second to pull that up. I'm pulling up the book as well as pulling up the. Oh, here we are. Pulling up the creative team. Hellions number 12 is written by Zeb Wells with art by Steven Zagovia, colors by David Curiel, and letters by VCs Ariana Maher or Mayer. So, uh, guess what? Only a certain number of the members of the Hellions are invited to the Hellfire Gala. The rest of them are not invited because they are not exactly uh, the most social or sociable people. You know, we are talking about uh, uh, Grey Crow, a.k.a. the former Scalp Hunter, Wild Child. um, uh, I I forget that kid who was with the Hellions, um, who has such a bad rep. Um, let me see if I can find his code name. Empath? It is Empath. 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 And um, so certain members, or se- let's say several members 
of the Hellions are not invited to the Hellfire Gala. And, uh, you know, that's a running, it's a running joke. It's a running subplot of this particular issue where the, uh, the few members of the Hellions who are invited, let's say among them, Havoc isn't exactly comfortable with his place among the Hellions. Uh, Quanon, uh, AKA Psylocke is okay with it. And Great Crow is kind of in between, but he's also not invited to, uh, the party. Surprisingly, Sinister is, and Sinister obviously has, uh, several issues. Uh, no pun intended. He has several things going on with his character. Um, that, also has uh, a seat on the council. Say again? It also has a seat on the council. So that's probably why he was also why he was invited. Right. But ultimately, you know, as I, as I mentioned, a lot of his storylines in this book uh, are complicated and they deal with cloning. And that's definitely something that comes up here in this issue. Um, so, of course, the uninvited Hellions prove to be the best gate crashers. And they crash the gala and cause a ruckus, and they end up getting kicked out, and it's pretty funny. But before they get kicked out, they do happen to cause messes here, there, and everywhere. I mean, you know, bringing up old um, old love affairs, um, dealing with old uh, controversies with other characters, other former Hellions with Empath. It's just a big mess, and all of the uh, you know, and all of the uh, the gate crashers are are promptly ported back to um, the corner of Krakoa uh, where they're supposed to be. But um, but at the end of the day, at the end of the issue, there is some sinister stuff going on. Every pun intended. Hmm. Of course. And that. That for those are our three um, chapters of the story of the Hellfire Gala this week. I think this is going to prove to be pretty interesting and pretty fun. Yeah. But bear in mind, uh, I was I was going to add just just as a final reminder. Bear in mind that reading list I think is a big clue as to what um, we should be keying in on, which issues we should be focusing in on. Right. Um. Yeah. Um, I, I was just going to say that, um, yeah, so far it seems to be, uh, kind of fun and definitely there are people, there are certain people like Emma, uh, I was going to say earlier with, the uh, with, the uh, the Marauders book or who are in their element and, um, and that issue in itself seems kind of, was kind of fun, especially with, uh, you know, everybody coming in and certain things that happen, you know, um, with, with uh, interactions with certain people, you know, including one interaction that, that Emma was like, um, <laughs> like, no, no, this is not what we're here for, but, um, uh, you know, <laughs> but so, someone, uh, someone else happens to come in and kind of, uh, like throw a little dart in, in that. But, uh, yeah, but it's still supposed to be fun. So hopefully, yeah, this ends up being, so, this is pretty much, you might as well say, this is the second X event in a year's time. Because we're not that far off from Ten of uh, ten of Swords being done. Like, yeah, it's been a few issues as of this point. point. Um, and I'm only making that point um, because even then, I believe, um, they they were talking about this coming up. So, right. 
in this issue of Hellions, I had a hard time figuring out if there are famous people I'm supposed to be recognizing right. in the book. There's a couple of panels where I'm like, wow, they are really doing something hard. You know, they're they're really working hard on making that person's face stick out. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it's 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 obvious, right? Like they're making you know, it's not as much as it's not as much as Marauders, mm-hmm. but definitely there's a panel or two here where I'm I'm having trouble placing the face. So I so going back to them real quick, and then we can just move on because yeah, I did I did kind of flip back through and see the um. That panel you were talking about with the 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 Patton Oswalt would look like mm-hmm. person, and I'm kind of wondering if that's supposed to be his his because I know his wife just passed. Like, no, he has a new wife now. Yeah, no, but um, like I was wondering because I I don't yeah. So that's supposed to be his new wife, or is that his, like his, his? I think it's his new wife. Okay, yeah, I'm not I, familiar with what she looks like exactly. Yeah. So, um, because I was kind of wondering about that. I'm like, huh, huh, that's. It's a choice, I guess, but obviously they probably, even if that was him, I'm assuming they kind of went to him to see mm-hmm. if that was the case. But yeah, oh, yeah. I was about to say, I think I want to say that his name was listed in that uh, the, the announcement that some people were making, that certain people were making guest appearances. Right. So, you know, I think they got his permission to, uh, to you know, for that. Gotcha. Yeah, so I would, I didn't actually pay that close attention to that stuff, but it, it makes sense in this affair. But yeah, and, the, and that's, this whole thing is pretty much a presentation to the world, so we'll we'll see. And we do know that there's a couple of things that's supposed to come out of it, including what they have alluded to that we haven't seen yet. Oh, I did want to mention in X-Force number 20, I, I, I'm i pretty sure one of the panels has Ryan Panagos, Lorraine Sink, and James Monroe Eigelhart sure, in, makes sense. in there. I think, did you see that? No, I didn't see it, but that make, that would make total sense. Because they are, you know, they're, they're the, the current um, hosts of This Week in Marvel. Right. And that's, uh, you know, that that's that makes a ton of sense that they would put them in there. And I recognize it from uh, Ryan Panagos' big handlebar mustache. Right. right. And, and, and right. Rain so, hair. Yeah, and her and her hair is definitely indistinguishable. So, so, um, so yeah, that's cool. And I'm pretty sure there's probably going to be more of that as, as this, this thing goes by. Um, exactly. It's fun. You know, it, it's, it's one of those things. There's another book this week. And we're going to cover it in rapid fire because we both read it, where, wherein the art makes you stop and look and pour over it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something that not every book or every artist you know wants to make you do, but some of these artists are doing an excellent job of making us do that. Obviously, here during the Hellfire Gala issues, there's a different aspect to it because we're looking for famous faces or at least, you know, likenesses that might be famous. Right. So that's one aspect of it. But there's, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this particular aspect of comic book art uh, coming up very soon. Uh, that being said, we can move on to, well, let's see, what, you got a, another book you want to talk about? I'm about to say, we can go rapid fire one. because we've got a lot of books to go through. Mm, okay, sure, sure, sure. Rapid fire. Oh, I like to read. Dang it, I know I forgot to read something. I just looked at your list. Shoot. What's that? Black Cat, I forgot to read that. I am upset about that. Oh, I know what not to spoil. That's why, <laughs> that's why it's important for us to go through each other's list because it happens to me too where I look to see, uh, I see something on your list where I'm like, oh man, I, I totally forgot to read that. Right, because so, usually that would be like our first, to... that, would, that would be like a, hey, I'm going to read this first book and I totally forgot about that. Right, so I am going to uh, spin up 
the uh, the minigun, but before I do that, a new little intro to our rapid fire segment. I ain't got time to breathe. Alright. I may have to reach the gain on that, but uh, you get the idea. Exactly. Let me start off with Amazing Spider-Man number 67. Oh. It's written by Nick Spencer with pencils by Marcelo Ferreira, uh, Carlos Go and Carlos Gomez, inks by Wayne Foucher, Marcelo Ferreira, and Carlos Gomez, colors by Maury Hollowell and Andrew Crossley, and letters by VC's Joe Caramagna. So this is the first issue in the latest Nick Spencer you know, mini arc of uh, Amazing Spider-Man. This storyline is called Chameleon Conspiracy, and that's going to lead into another story arc called Sinister War, if you have been keeping up with solicitations. But in this issue, we uh, catch up with some of the story that had been put on the back burner. You know, I was joking with Roddy Cat earlier that this, is, this almost seems very Claremont-like, where... This particular storyline with the chameleon and Teresa Parker coming back into the fold was running, you know, primarily was running kind of front burner for a little while and then went back burner when we started talking about Randy Robertson and um, Janice Lincoln and that stuff. whole uh, life tablet thing with mm. um, with the boomerang that all took. Uh, center stage for a little while or, or became front burner and this story became back burner to, so as not to mix metaphors and now we uh, are back to this particular storyline being up front there are uh, there's a touch upon some clone conspiracy stuff right up front with the reunion of uh, Peter Parker and Betty Brant there is a surprise in this issue with regards to that too uh we also catch up with that clairvoyant, you know, uh, a technology that's supposed to see into the future. And we see that uh, Peter Parker's uh, uh, graduate school lab partner seems to be um, kind of doing uh, bad things for the right reasons. Yeah, I kind of hate that. That's, uh, that you know, and it's a, it's a classic story. Eh, sure, it's a trope. Um, it's definitely least. a classic story uh, based upon what you could abuse with this particular technology that he and Peter Parker have developed, and um, you know we we get we get some forward movement on that. We also get some forward movement on you know Teresa's story with the chameleon, as well as uh, as I said, there's a reveal in this issue uh, with regards to um, something related to the clone conspiracy. So there's a lot of plot threads being simultaneously advanced in this issue as we move forward in this clone cons in this chameleon hmm. conspiracy story. And re-brought back that up because like, a lot of the stuff uh, hadn't been brought up in a good while. It's almost actually kind of like Dan Slott. Like when he was on Spidey, like he would bring up some stuff and, and kind of play with it a little bit and just kind of let it go for a while and then just bring it back like way later. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, that's what I was going to say is you, you bring up another creator. I think of Claremont first yeah. simply because they seem to be given 
the longest leash to be able to tell their stories mm-hmm. and they are just on the you know they they are given extended runs on these books you know obviously claremont has a legendary run on uncanny right, right. and uh slot has you know this gigantic run on uh, amazing and now we've got Spencer, and they've given him a lot of leeway to tell his story. So we do have, so he has the luxury of putting aside a storyline to tell something else, and then picking that storyline up, you know, multiple, you know, 10, 12 issues later. Right. I think the only difference is, uh, I'm pretty sure, even after all these years, there's still some Claremont stuff that hasn't been uh, uh, oh, yeah. brought back up. Exactly. There's dangling plot threads that he's he's probably going to pick up in that X-Men Legends book at yeah. some point. So, uh, all right. Next up for me is uh, Non-Stop Spider-Man number three. It's written by Joe Kelly with pencils by Chris Pachalo, inks by Tim Townsend, Wayne Foucher, Alve. There's a bunch of inkers on this book, and that might be why this was delayed slightly. John Livesay and Jamie Mendoza, they're five inkers on this book and it makes sense why maybe there was a delay in this book now uh the colors are by marcio Meniz, and letters are by vcs travis lanham so we continue this particular uh story in non-stop i am pulling up the book now because um we get more on the side effects of this drug that uh the, the, that spidey is looking to uh to, to to track down the source of and Nora winters is dragged into the story as it were she's reporting on it and the um the these um these brothers i forget their names the zapata the zapata brothers oh the zapata the shoe brothers the zapata's brothers basically um <laughs> the zapata's brothers they continue to evolve and uh, 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 intellectually because that is um, kind of the crux of the uh, 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 of the the story here, where this designer drug, which was meant to enhance um, uh, the intelligence of these kids who are taking it, basically uh, cause a brain drain and take away their intelligence and funnel them funnel that intelligence into somebody else, and. Uh, the the fisticuffs are basically solved by Nora Winters because she appeals to the Zapata brothers' um, sense of right and wrong in a sense because they you know they 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 of they are of the type that um, you know they are not pawn you know they'll do many things a job is a job until it's not. And they won't do things and be be pawns for racists, and that is, uh, you know, key here. Uh, unfortunately, the tables do get turned on the Zapata's brothers, and the um, and and the and the primary villain, the primary antagonist behind the story, reveals himself to Spider-Man uh, here at the end of the issue. Yeah, some some would say uh, the Zapata brothers got their minds blown. Yes, <laughs> uh, we don't want to say we don't want to say literally, but kind of. But yeah, kind of, almost actually. Um, so, yes. but as, you know, remember, I was mentioning earlier about art, 
yeah. and how art makes you stop, how some art makes you stop and really, really stop and pour over some of the panel work and the line work. One of the things that is a pro and a con of Chris Pachalo's work is that you have to really look carefully at it. It does flow, but sometimes it's hard to see exactly what's happening in a panel. Yeah, sometimes so much. Yes, but at the same time, it still forces you to stop and look. And I appreciate that. I appreciate, you know, not, you know, you know, ladies and gentlemen, we always joke about how we on the Comic Book Chronicles, even when we're at full strength, and the full uh, podcast Voltron is together. We have to read a lot of books every week so we can stay on top of what is going on and give you the best show that we can. Well, we choose to. And, I mean, because there's been times where, you know, no, we don't actually have to, but yes, we choose to because well, we want we to. We try do. to. Yeah, right. We, we try, try to cover to. a lot of these books. Yeah. But, what, my, but my point is one side effect of that is that we end up reading through books very quickly sometimes. And books like this sometimes force us to really stop and look at the art and really stop and consider what. Uh, what is going on in the pages and what kind of effort it took to uh, to draw said pages. And I was joking before about there being five inkers on this book. I'm starting to understand why, you know, I definitely understand why in this issue. So, um, you know, that's, that, that's, uh, that's it for me on nonstop Spidey number three. Do you have anything else to add? I know that's pretty much it. All righty. So next up is Black Cat number seven. It's written by Jed McKay with art by Michael Dowling, colors by Brian Reber, um, letters by Ferran Delgado. So this is the uh, conclusion of the Gilded City story arc. It's a three-part story. It involves Black Cat and a certain deal with a supernatural being that the uh, Black Fox has executed as of the last issue. But we get a little bit of a resolution here in this issue. I don't want to spoil this because I know Roddy Cat is looking to read this. So we do get a resolution in this issue. Um, It is pretty well done. It definitely plays out like something you would expect to see from uh, Felicia Hardy. You know, Jed McKay has an excellent grasp on this character's voice and is telling a pretty entertaining story. The art is also very uh, well executed. Uh, It is a pleasure to read uh, Black Cat. And this issue ends on a mild cliffhanger. Um, and definitely lead may lead us into different directions for Felicia Hardy. All right. Uh, next up is Immortal Hulk number 47. Did you read this, Roddy Cat? Didn't get a chance to. Oh, something else I will not spoil too much of because um, there's a while there are some things that happen in this issue. It's not a filler issue, but it's definitely one of those issues that gets us from A to B. Because, as we know, Immortal Hulk is ending with issue 50. So, this being 47, we know that there are three more issues left. 48, 49, and 50. Right? After this issue. So, um, this issue is written by Al Ewing. Of course, it's Immortal Hulk. The art, the pencils are by Joe Bennett. With inks by Rui Jose, Bellardino Bravo, and uh, colors by Paul Mounts. 
colors by Paul Mounts and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. So uh, the narration at the beginning of the issue is from uh, Jennifer Walters, a.k.a. She-Hulk, a.k.a. Hulk's perspective. And we pick up where we left off in the last issue, where the Avengers are confronting um, the immortal Hulk on the streets of New York, where uh, the Harpy has made an appearance. This is all tied right into the ending of the last issue. And things uh, get pretty crazy when Gamma Flight uh, drops in. Uh, There are a couple of really cool scenes, but then ultimately, as I said earlier, it's not a filler issue. It definitely isn't, but it definitely gets us from A to B, which is getting us moving towards the ultimate climax of this storyline. So that's where I felt this issue played best, where um, it's serving as a setup of how we're going to end. You know, it's getting characters into place. Let's put it that way. It's definitely moving characters into place. Kind of the beginning of the end. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So next up, we can skip the Hellfire Club issues, is Batman. Batman number 109. It's written by James Tinian IV with art by Jorge Jimenez, colors by Tomo Mori, and letters by, not by VCs, Clayton Cowles. He must be freelancing it here. Letters by Clayton Cowles. So, um... Just give me a moment to pull up the book so I can talk about it. So um, in this issue, we definitely are moving towards future state storyline stuff in this. You know, we have been ever since we came back from future state in Batman. Batman, as I said earlier, is one of those books that has hewed very closely to what happened in future state and is leading, you know, is is on a a crash, uh, a collision course with um, with all of the events that happened that we saw in the Batman books in uh, Future State. And this is no exception. Uh, in this issue, we have um, Batman on the trail of Simon Saint. And if you've read that Future State stuff, you know where that character, um, you know, the, the, the role that character plays in the future of Gotham. Uh, we catch up with... Um, uh, uh, Ghostmaker and uh, Harley Quinn, who he is babysitting to uh, to to a certain extent, and we catch up with um, uh, a character that was introduced that is connected to uh, Poison Ivy, and we find out what uh, Ivy has been up to um, while this uh, storyline has been playing out, uh, what she's been doing in the background, and um, as I said earlier. We definitely catch right up to um, what's happening in uh, Future State because we do have what I believe is the first encounter of Peacekeeper 1 with Batman. We do know who Peacekeeper 1 is based on events of uh, the last several issues, but now we get the um, fully formed Peacekeeper 1 encountering Batman for the very first time. And that happens at the end of this issue and is the uh, cliffhanger ending of the issue. So we're bound to see uh, more of that in the next issue. So it is so weird that it is continuously weird that this is still going, or that this is happening. Cause like pretty much, all, well, there's a few books that DC have that are pretty much 
going back before uh, Future State and uh, even a couple of they just started going back and forth for your state and kind of running up to it. And it's still kind of weird. It's like, oh, like we know this, like we already know the ends of how this ends up. And now this is, so I don't, I'm trying to remember if we knew who, I feel like we got who peacekeeper one was during the course of future state, but I can't remember if that was the case. I don't think so because I, I remember, remember thinking, who is this? But right. then I definitely remember thinking that also, but I, I felt like we got that in, at the end of, um, uh, Dark Detective, but I, I, I could very well be wrong because I know we didn't get into any of the other books. I wasn't reading Dark Detective as closely, so you might be right. Mm. I was only keeping up with the bat, the main Batman book, right? Well, and yeah, because there was because there was the Batman book, there was Nightwing uh, book, um, and I just finished reading. Uh, I just went back and read finished reading that one. Uh, the next Batman book, which uh, you know that definitely didn't. Uh, and I think wait, there might have been one or two others that was like, well, there was definitely like the Catwoman and stuff like that, and, and you know, and stuff that was kind of tangentially tied into that stuff, or during the course of. Uh, but yeah, but the, the the fact that we're still getting information that's like, well, yeah, we kind of already. Oh, Teen Titans also, um, not in relation to the Batman stuff, but just in relation to Future State stuff. Like, exactly. Like we're immediate. You know, we're, we're like I said earlier, we're like on a a a. a, a uh, a rapid descent or, you know, we're going straight into, you know, the flight plan is going straight into the future state uh, situation of stuff that we already know. Exactly. 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 We're leading right into that. So, all right. Anyway, uh, continue. All right next up is green lantern. Number three, surprise, surprise. It is written by Jeffrey Thorne with art by Tom Rainey and Marco Santucci colors by Michael Atia and letters by Rob Lee. This is a surprise potential click of the week. So I had a good time reading this. And one of the reasons why is, is something I, I told Roddy Cat just prior to the show. And I was recommending that he try to catch up on this because this issue and what how Jeffrey Thorne is treating um, the Green Lantern book is how I've always felt they needed to do it because – Yes, some characters probably get a little bit of a short shrift, right? Some characters who are, you know, might be your favorite Green Lantern may not be getting, you know, uh, all of the attention that they probably warrant here in the in this type of book. But I like a Green Lantern book that really touches upon several lanterns at once, really covers some of really covers what used to be covered in like some of the Green Lantern spinoff books. Like there was, there used to be like a Green Lantern book and a Green Lantern core book. And then there was, you know, a Sinestro core book. You know, there's, there's no, in my opinion, there's no need for that. I don't think it's that strong of a tie, you know, even the X-Men can't, uh, can't support all these tie-in books sometimes, right? Green Lantern is, is, is the same. But in this case, uh, our first, story touches upon the um the questing lanterns the people the lanterns who were sent off were off of oa in the last issues the last uh, the last uh, the the last few issues who were who were sent off of oa to a uh, a part of the galaxy that is wild space that's kind of gone dark to the uh the guardians and this group of lanterns were sent on a mission to um to, 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 to find out what was going on and something very surprising and bad happens as, uh, as the, uh, the lanterns who are in dark space, uh, 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 you know, find out the bad thing that happens is what happens on Oa. 
and I'm not going to spoil it because Roddy Cat hasn't read this yet, but what happens on uh, Oa obviously affects what happens to these lanterns and in who are in wild space, and we're basically following uh, two concurrent storylines. One, these lanterns who go off into wild space, what's happening to them, and we also uh, catch up with what's happening on Oa now, where um, uh, Sojourner Mullen has arrived, as well as um, the Kid Lantern who has the gauntlet. I forget her name. Teen Lantern. Teen Lantern. I was about to say, I know she didn't want Kid Lantern. Teen Lantern. Mm-hmm. So the Teen Lantern and, 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 and other folks who are on Oa are left to pick up pieces. And that is the other part of the story. And our cliffhanger at the end of the issue leaves us with... Uh, another lantern who we are obviously far more familiar with, who is um, uh, teased as probably going to be going to play a role at some point soon. Uh, you know, w- just by me describing it that way, I think you all know who it might be. So um, that is the the end of this issue. But I really enjoyed how this story was paced and how it was told. Okay. So. You know, it definitely felt like a, a, a really solid issue of the uh, uh, of not just the Green Lantern, but the Green Lantern core. Right. Okay. So sounds like, and um, it's speaking of Future State, because as a matter of fact, this, that, these, uh, the the Green Lantern book, uh, Future State book, was one I also very recently read. So I think, if, if I'm not mistaken, I'm getting you right. This is pretty much still taking place before future state and is sound like it's leading into the, cause what we, what we got in future state was like, Hey, the something happened to the lanterns and they're all kind of scattered and right. powerless. And so because of something that happens on Oa, that's exactly right. So mm-hmm. this is another, I guess this, I guess this is another book that's really tracking closely with where, you know, uh, at least headed directly towards what happened in Future State. Right, because we know John Stewart brought Teen Lantern to Oa, and then Joe Moline ended up coming to Ulo. As a matter of fact, in, at the end of uh, the, the Teen, uh, of the, excuse me, of the Green Lantern Future State book, she pretty much meets that character that you are alluding to. Right. Uh, about the events of Oa. Gotcha. If gotcha. I'm not mistaken. I mean, I don't remember it that well, so I'm going to take your word for it. I've, I've, uh, I've read it like yesterday, so that's what that's what sh- why I, I, I know this so so um, so well. <laughs> but like I said, it's still kind of funny that all this stuff is just like, well, okay, we we know some, and even when future thing happens, like, okay, I would like to know what happened to cause this, and I'm going to assume that this is what that is, and I'm going to assume that the. I don't know if the cover has anything to do with anything, but we know because of that future state book, uh, John Stewart is in, a, is in a very different place, and it was with a bunch of lanterns. Um, right. So, I, yeah, I am definitely actually going to be looking forward to checking out this um, this this book for that reason because this is, this is this is sound like it's going to be answering. Uh, what I want to know. But the question is, where are they going to go after this? Like, we already pretty much got Future State. Like, even with the Batman books, like, okay, it's leading up to Future State, but at some point, there's going to have to be a time jump. Uh, I don't or know. Future, into... Future State? 
<laughs> no, well, Infinite Frontier. We know Infinite Frontier is pretty. Don't call much. it far into the future state. I but no, know. I think I think uh, that's what Infinite Frontier is pretty much uh, doing. But at, at some point, it's going to have to get there, and I'm not sure how well that's going to happen. It's like okay, now that you got this point, and we already got future state, it's just going to just all right, ping, cut off there at some point, and then just go into Infinite Frontier. I assume. So it's still kind of weird how that all that is still playing out. Gotcha, gotcha. Anyway, all right. All right, next up, another surprise uh, entry for for a book for me. It is Iron Man Annual number one. This is the first in the Infinite Destinies um, series of annuals. And, it, you know, based on what I read here, it might actually prove to be an interesting read as these come out over the course of the summer. So this book is written by Jed McKay with art by Ibrahim Roberson. Color art by Rochelle Rosenberg and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Our favorite lettering paisan is always busy. So, <laughs> so the issue opens with uh, Iron Man uh, teaming up with Miles Morales Spider-Man to deal with uh, uh, a moloid infestation, which is kind of played for laughs. It's pretty amusing. Of so... Uh, this leads into a little bit of um, uh, 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 a catching up session between uh, Stark and Miles, and uh, it touches upon a recent events, recent uh, storylines in the pages of uh, Miles, and it involves a certain. Um, examination that miles underwent that had to do with uh that, that was heavily reliant upon technology mm-hmm. and that's that 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 is the storyline that iron man is uh looking to peek into and the character that proved to be one of the biggest pains in the neck and i don't remember if we knew this i think we did but the character that was proving to be a big pain in the neck for Miles during that storyline seems to be powered. That that character Quantum seems to be powered by the Space Gem. Huh. And that is how that character can do all the teleportation stuff. And that's how that character plays into this Infinite Destinies storyline. So is this you may or may not remember, there was a I think that their name was Quantum, uh, from back in like the Wackos, and there was he was a part of the group. I don't know if it's if this is that same one or not, because um, let me see if I can find it. Yeah, um, there was a character called uh, Quantum. Uh, let's see. Yep, that showed up in West Coast Avengers. I don't know if it's that. Is, is, do we know whether it's that same one or not? Or I don't think so. Did this because this character is an alien, and and the character that we're looking at, I believe, is human. Okay, I was about to say, did they did they multiply like the um like um like Madrox? Because if that's no. the case, then probably. So okay, cool. No, definitely a different character, same name. Okay, looks like they have looked to uh uh, uh distinguish this particular character. Uh, because his name was Loman, but right. his alias was Quantum. So, right. 
Okay. So I was wondering about that. I was like, is it that same character? But I guess not. No. Okay, cool. Different character, different character. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, it proved to be a pretty entertaining story. I thought McKay did an excellent job of capturing um, uh, Stark's, Tony Stark's um, attitude. Um, it's a definitely a play on the, the, the RDJ characterization, but it's different. Mm-hmm. Definitely, you know, it's definitely a little different. It's definitely more comic based. And, um, there's a quick backup story. I guess Nick Fury, um, Nick Fury Jr. is going to be playing a role in, in this, uh, in these Infinite Destinies books. Oh, okay. So, yeah, there's a, there's a short little backup story at the end. Uh, the next annual is going to be the next annual that has uh, uh, Infinite Destiny stuff going on is Captain America Annual Number One. All right, I have one last book, folks. I know I've been going on and on, but I have I did a lot of reading last night and this evening. Uh, Iron Fist, Heart of the Dragon Number Six. It's written by Larry Hama, with art by Dave Walker, colors by Niraj Manoni. And letters by VCs Travis Lanham. I'm pulling up my review copy of this now so that I can speak uh, intelligently about this book because there's a few things to say about it. Uh, One, it is a limited series, and I confess that I have not read all of the issues of this limited series. Have not. Uh, I've, I've read it here and there. Definitely skipped a couple of issues here and there, but at six issues, I may end up going back to read it, to read our review copies even before they hit Marvel Unlimited. But ultimately, um, this issue is probably something you can read on its own. It's actually pretty good like that. And, uh, you know, there's lots of uh, chi-infused combat going on. There's dragons. There are a couple of interesting very interesting changes in status quo here in this issue i will leave it at that because i know that roddy cat will be reading this but there are some very very surprising and interesting changes to the status quo in this issue hmm. okay Yes, if, surprising. Right. If the cover has any in the indication of it, what's of the? Um, uh, I will the, say that character plays a part in it. Gotcha. Without spoiling it. Okay. Um. Yeah. That that it appealed to me. I was like, okay, I want to check this out, but I, I am. I uh, I think I stopped reading it uh, as I told Agent Seven before the show. I was like, yeah, I stopped reading it, uh, issue two. Not because I didn't want to continue reading it, because like we had a lot of stuff reading and we have a lot of stuff to read, ladies and gentlemen. We can only fit so much in before we broadcast the show. Good you know, enough. if we decided to do our show on the weekends, we probably would have a you know even even longer list of things to talk about. So and honestly, we did because we used to we used to uh, record on Fridays. <laughs> That's right. So to give That's it another right. day. That's right. All right, cool. That being said, uh, I only have a couple of books uh, to uh, to pop up. Uh, Savage Avengers number twenty one, just uh, still going on somehow, folks. I know, right? That's, that is the craziest thing. Like, so if, for real briefly, for those that did not know, alrighty then. Thunderstorm wow. happening. Yeah, did you hear that? 
I did hear that. <laughs> and I have noise suppression on, so that's that's impressive. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, Savage, I guess they don't want me to start talking about Savage Avengers, but anyway, uh, Savage Avengers started out during an... King of, wait, no, what? Not King of Black. It started out during an event, and then crossed over into another event. In like, maybe it was King of Black that it started off in, actually. I don't, remember, I don't even remember. Started uh, off in, it was before that. It was before that. Well before that. Okay. It started out during an event, regardless. Um... And was not supposed to see Paz like fifteen or something like that, as far as we know. Uh, and now it's gone number two, and it was supposed to end at some point. We we know this because they even said as much. And now it's still going on twenty one issues in, so it, well past the issue that I mean, well past the event that it, not only that it started in, but it has gone through another major event, <laughs> and it seems to be in this issue. Not necessarily touching on an event, but um, uh, kind of has a cameo. So basically, at the events of, uh, of last issue, Conan now owns the Hellfire Club in New York because it was it was uh, deserted anyway. Because uh, mm. he made some sort of deal with Logan. Um, somehow, Logan had you know was able to broker that deal. Um, and so now um, Conan lives in the Hellfire Club, uh, which brings a point, which brings about, I mean, there was some, you know, there's a couple of other mutants that kind of uh, got brought up in the course of that story, like Iceman and Bishop and a couple other people were, were brought up. Regardless, cutting into this issue, one Emma Frost happens to show up, um, happens, to, happens to pay Conan a visit for some reason. Uh, and she basically says, "Hey, you know, keep the place nice because we sound like we will be back for it, or or she'll be back for it. One of the two. I can't remember what it was. Um, but that is pretty much that. She leaves, and you know, Conan. Once you meet somebody, you know, he he's just gonna go one or two ways, and one of those two ways is gonna fight them. Which, of course, Emma, Emma Frost being a telepath, that wasn't going to happen. Um, but that goes." That's pretty much that, but then it goes into what uh, amounts to a team up with uh, Ghost Rider because apparently somehow uh, Conan meets up with wow it is coming down in buckets outside sorry um, meets up with Johnny Blaze Ghost Rider they have a little sparring session uh, because apparently uh, Ghost Rider is also looking for Kulam Gath for some reason um, they square up against each other but then they apparently team up at the end of this issue. Well, they don't actually, no, they don't team up at the end of this issue because something happens um, that has something to do with a well-known Ghost Rider move that uh, sends Conan somewhere, let's just say. And there's also a couple of allusions to nightmares because they keep talking about nightmares in here, so I don't know if Nightmare actually is going to show up. But they keep. But there's a couple of times in this issue where nightmare, or someone having a nightmare, you know, uh, comes into play. So I'm going to assume that that's what that's uh, going to be a part of this. And I think nightmare may have shown up during the course of Savage Adventures at once or twice. So that, uh, folks, is that. I just wanted to add that Savage Avengers started out with that um, the Kulan Gaff story. Mm-hmm. And there. that wasn't that wasn't really related that that was that was kind of independent. And the reason why we kind of joke about this, ladies and gentlemen, is that we have heard rumors of this title's demise. And somehow every month we still see 
tie issues of Savage Avengers coming out. So. Well, the reason why I said it starts off as, as an event because if you remember, it was that one uh, Avengers event that came that Conan came popping in on at the um, came came in on to the uh, to the universe, and then somehow then then Savage Avengers kind of happened uh, right after that. I see what you mean, yeah. but yeah, but yeah, in in a sense, it it, it spins out of that, but right, I, I but it wasn't a direct tie. Yes, I, I did right. imply that it was a, a direct tie out of an event, but it but it pretty much came out of an event because of the fact that that's where Conan popped in from. Gotcha. Uh, that being said, let's see, Crush and Lobo number one is my next book. Uh, and actually, no, it's not my. Uh, so this was a, this is I think an eight issue mini series um from the dc camp and if you don't know crush you probably know lobo if you've been around dc from uh intergalactic bonnie hunter the main man you've probably seen him on justice league um one of the justice league uh, animated shows you know well he has a daughter and her name is crush uh as of recently she was on the teen titans but now as of uh teen titans academy that lasted teen titans academy book from last week she is no longer with them, which is, I think, which is pretty much still set before uh, Future State, by the way. So, right. and some of that, and that issue kind of sets this up a little bit because she does get a message from him. And I think we saw them see, see the message in this issue that she gets from him uh, when he's in a place. But the gist of the story before that is that, you know, she's, uh, she's away from the Teen Titans. She, um, has, has slash had a girlfriend, um, that may or may not become a, a part of this. Uh, that may or may not be a, a another part of this book, but definitely plays into this issue. Uh, and I, an amusing interaction between her and her folks and people are in her purview. Uh, before we get into the fact that hey, Lobo, you know, one, you know, Lobo's in a place sends a Crush a message. Um, and wants to see her, so she's debating about whether she's going to go see him. Uh, and that's pretty much where this issue ends. It's, um, like I said, I don't know, if you are if you are interested in either one of those characters, this may be something for, like, Crush is kind of alright, but, you know, she's she's got some issues to work through, and I'm assuming that that's what this book is going to go well to do. I mean, this, uh, yeah, this miniseries is going to go do well to do is uh, to deal with her issues with her father, who has shown up in Teen Titans and tried to kill her and her friends before, so you know, added to the uh, added to her the issues she's already had with him. Uh, last but not least, so I this particular book I did not actually or miniseries specifically I did not read, but I kind of skimmed through it. And the only reason why I'm bringing this up is for a couple of reasons. One, the creative team. To the name of the book, which is Spy Hunter and Paperboy one through six, which were all thrown out uh, digitally on on Comicsology and probably other places. Uh, the creative team is written by Larry Hama, uh, art and cover by Mac Ray, and letters by Pat Brousseau. So, if you're of a certain vintage, you know, and you spend some time in these uh, places called arcades. You know, that's where video games lived before uh, before home consoles, or even during the time of uh, home consoles were burgeoning. Um, there's a 
Let's see. There's a Paperboy video game. There's a Spy Hunter video game. I believe this might be based off of those two things put together, but I'm not entirely sure. Like, there's nothing written that's saying specifically, but because of what I what I kind of skimmed through, it seems to be the case. Like, they don't specific make specific mentions to, hey, these are based off of the video games, you know? But this is pretty much what it is. What this, and what this also is, is a project that uh, Larry Hama did of and crew did a few years ago that DC shelved that uh, they just, I don't think it's in the solicits. I don't think they were in um, like, or in, well, wherever uh, DC has their, um, you know, their weekly comic new releases list or whatever the case may be. It, I don't think it was on their comic list either. Not that I think about it, but uh, I did not check there because we know it's not on diamond because DC is not there anymore. So um, it's, it's an interesting, it's a weird premise, like bringing these two totally disparate uh, video game um, things and kind of bringing them together. There was also a movie called uh, Cloak and Dagger that might be similar to this, but probably not. Um, I don't know why this exists outside of the fact that it was already done and shelved or why it's coming out now, because we know there's no Spy Hunter movie like there was that The Rock was trying to get out of the way. And I seriously doubt they're trying to work on a Paperboy movie. <laughs> Although I'm pretty sure at this point they, they've mined enough video games for movies at this point that where I'm pretty sure that could very well be the case. I don't know. Um, but it is a thing that might be worth it. Well, if you enjoy Larry Hammond's work and, um, uh, you know, you might want to check this out. I like that. My, my curiosity in this was because of the fact that these seemingly two characters from video games are kind of coming together on the thing. And, um, um, are, have this, has this mini series together. Like the, the, all of them are out on, uh, to comicsology. I don't think they're on comicsology unlimited. Um, I did go through the first issue and it, it was pretty much how these two, uh, these two characters ended up, um, uh, start working with the is other, let's say, so, if that in itself kind of makes you interested in this, you should seek this out. Outside of that, I will probably finish the rest of this at some point and may or may not report back on on how this is. Because like, I just thought it was kind of wild that it just kind of came out of the blue. Uh, that being said, that is it for me. And we can go into uh, the uh, rapid fire. I mean, not rapid fire, uh, clicks of the week. Clicks of the week! And we have one such click of the week from one of our uh, absent um, absent hosts. As I'm pulling it up, think uh, there we go. It is uh, Dirt's pick of the Swamp Thing number four, and he says, uh, "Let's see." Uh, we, Oh, Swamp Thing number four. We got a few answers that add to the mythology and more questions that add to the mystery. Um, and he was saying something about Justice League Jark, but since it's a backup to Justice League, he can't because Bendis doesn't know how to write non-street level heroes. So, he so. has more to say, actually. He says, yeah, he does. I'm getting to that, too. Uh, he, some would argue he doesn't know how to write street level uh, heroes in a group either, but that's beside the point. Anyway, um, 
So he also goes on to say that uh, Ramvi is killing it. He's doing a great job of building a horror story about the Swamp Thing and not just doing the thing everybody else does where they go, it's a new character, X. Uh, you know, he, yeah, Doug doesn't like legacy characters for some odd reason because he doesn't like progress. I don't know. Um, <laughs> let me stop. Uh, just like before, but now character X is person Y. Person, wait, excuse me. Yeah, character X is person Y. Instead, he has a story that's unfolding, and the lead is learning about the world of the green and the legend of the Swamp Thing, and it's all new and horrifying to him. So, yeah, if you are a fan of of um, the Swamp Thing, so I'm guessing is he's saying it's not, while it's not the original character, it's someone new, but they're not doing like, hey, it's just another person that's got the thing situation. Right, is what he's saying. Um, right. Developing in a different way, so right. I guess he's appreciating how it's developing that way. Right, which you know what, there's something to be said for that because he is the one thing he is actually right for is, is like, yes, it is easy for us to say, is, oh yeah, this kind of, this character is, is kind of off of this, and run with it, you know. Right. So there you go. Uh, we didn't get one from Tim. He's probably busy. Uh, do you have yours? I am going to tell you, unless you have it, yours right away. No. I definitely can tell you what my candidates are. Sure, go for so it. So in, 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 in my case, Marauders 21, I really enjoyed reading that. It was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely enjoyed reading, surprisingly, I enjoyed reading Green Lancer number three. Because as I said before, I really enjoyed how, how, uh, uh, Jeffrey Thorne is really juggling the various characters in the Green Lantern corner of the universe. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I'm going to go with Marauders, number 21, just because I thought it was a great kickoff to the Hellfire Gala. Mm. Yeah, it it's definitely a potential click for me. I um... oh, wanted to, if you could lower the Swamp Thing cover just for a second. Oh, wait. Actually, no. I can, I can, I can hold this up because it'll, I'll show, it'll show up while you have that Swamp Thing cover up. Actually, you know what? I'll do you one better. Let's see. I got a close up. I got a close up shot for you. Bap. There you go. All right. So I got, I got this variant cover. The, um, the design cover. The, the, the design variant cover by Dowderman. I'm gonna tilt this so that my ring light doesn't, uh, totally glare up the, the, the image. But, um. Uh, this uh, design cover by Russell Dowderman for uh, the cover of Marauders number 21 it is one. This is one of the looks that Emma Frost has in the book. Right. And when I saw this cover, I was like, yeah, that's mine. <laughs> it's, it's, you know what? It's a good look and a good cover for that. Because like, like I kind of said earlier, like, yeah, uh, there are certain people that were in that book. And I was specifically talking about Emma, who is in her element. Oh yeah, definitely. And, and, and so I definitely, as soon as I saw this, I was like, "That one, that's mine." Yeah, <laughs> that's a good, that's a good looking cover. It's particularly for the, yeah, particularly for the look, you know, because yep. it's, it's kind of going off with a couple of different things, and so yeah, yeah, definitely. So, right. all right, so that's yeah, it for me. That's uh, that's my click. Gotcha. Marauders. We don't know when. We don't know when uh, Emma actually gets to that look before the time. Before they skip to it uh, near the end of uh, Marauders, but I'm sure we'll see that. I'm sure, right? Because it is towards the end. Because right. they do show her in the book, but it is further on in the evening. Right. You know, gotta make it. Gotta make a thing. Uh, and I think the Cougars were supposed to be doing the same thing. So for myself, 
Um, I'm actually thinking. Hmm. I think I'm going to go with while I'm. I have issues with the fact that they did it, but I'll, well, I don't have an issue with the fact that they did it because they did it actually kind of well. But and the reasoning why they did it, I don't have a problem with. Uh, so it's probably less of an issue that I that I've initially stated, but. Um, Heroes Were Born Marvel Double Action number one. I actually kind of want to lump in uh, both Heroes Were Born number five and Marvel Double Action but specifically Marvel Double Action number one because of the way they treat the, because of the treatment of that book. Not necessarily the story. The story also, because they, yeah, they, they just you know, it's, they pretty much rehashed the story with with a different character in, in, in the lead and kind of took some tweaks here and there. And that in itself was like, okay, that, that was not bad. Or a couple of characters, I should say. Um, but definitely the treatment around the book. You know, the, the, um, you know, the, the classic art to the, the, to the footnotes and everything else that's kind of uh, surrounding that book is just as good. That serves, you know, into making it look and feel the way it does. I, I, I appreciate that very much. So that's what I'm going to go with. Uh, yeah, and I'm going to take it off of uh, 1870. There we go. I totally forgot to do that. That being the case, uh, we can move on to the news. And uh, first, we got an ad read. Our first ad read of the night is for Blue Apron's meal delivery service. Blue Apron, fresh ingredients and incredible recipes delivered weekly to your door. Skip the grocery store, and make incredible meals at home with Blue Apron, always shipped free right to your home. And now the listeners of the Comic Book Chronicles can get $30 off your first Blue Apron order. To place your first order with $30 off and to help keep our show free for you, please go to our network website at cspn.us. That's cspn.us. Then click on the Keep Our Podcasts free link at the top of the page from there scroll down to the blue apron link and sign up for your first order blue apron through cspn.us do it today and now we get into the news And we start off as we do uh, about this time with the cinematic news. J.J. Uh, Abrams admits that, uh, concedes in an interview that uh, it would have been better had the Star Wars sequels had a, de- definite, a de- definitive plan for the overall story ahead of time. So, in a new interview, J.J. Abrams admits, um, yeah, what I just said. Uh, apparently, famously, he was tasked with coming up with a brand new cast for the first sequel uh, for uh, uh, Star Wars Force Awakens, as well as plant seeds for future stories. Uh, then writer-director Rian Johnson had the freedom to take the story in whatever direction he felt uh, within the current constraints of what Lucasfilm would allow, of course. We all know this. Uh, and, of course, um, The Rise of Skywalker and the shenanigans. Uh, in an excellent interview, according to this article by Adam Chitwood for Collider, Chitwood outright uh, asked if he if a plan ahead of time would have been benefit 
the the films and Abram replied, I've been involved in a number of projects that have been in most carries in cases series that have ideas uh, that begin that begin the thing where you feel like you know where it's going to go. And sometimes it's an actor who comes in and other times it's a relation that uh, as written doesn't quite work and things you uh, think are going to just be so well received that crash and burn and other things that you think like, Oh, that's just a small moment or just a one episode character suddenly become hugely important start of the story. Uh, I feel like what I've learned as a lesson a few times now, and it's something that especially in this pandemic year, working with writers has become clear. The lesson is that you have to plan things as best you can. And also, and you always need to be able to respond to the unexpected. And the unexpected can come in all sorts of forms. And I do think that there's nothing more important than knowing where you're going. So he's pretty much him, <laughs> hemming around the question. <laughs> he's like, yeah, we kind of screwed up. We didn't really know where we were going. So. Right. And yeah, he does. Yeah, he does kind of continues down that line and, and yeah, pretty much uh, concedes to the fact that there should have been something ahead of time. Um in a very long-winded way. Next up. All right. So um, apparently Marvel's Hawkeye TV show made Haley Steinfeld fall in love with archery. So uh, the actress starring in the Hawkeye show as Kate Bishop says she fell in love with archery while preparing for her role in Disney Plus's Hawkeye. While While the actress hasn't gotten much of a chance to show off her skills, Steinfeld has already professed her love for archery, admitting that she has become adept at the sport. In a recent interview with SFX Magazine via X-Realm, Steinfeld opened up about how she prepared for her role as Kate in Hawkeye. She briefly talked about reading the comics to familiarize herself with the history of her character, but primarily she discussed taking up archery for the show, a sport that she has now apparently quote-unquote perfected and fallen in love with. She says that she's pretty damn good. That's a paraphrase of what she says. <laughs> and uh, she says that it's something that she genuinely really enjoys. Uh, it's not something that she'd ever picked up uh, before this project. So uh, she definitely recommends it. It's a sport that anybody can play and start at any point in their life. It's truly therapeutic and just amazing. Not something she'd ever see herself doing, but here she is and she loves it. So not the first person in especially the last few months, much less this last year to actually um, to have that to, to either already have that love of archery or, or and or wanting to get into archery. So as a matter of fact, most of them have been women. So I don't know what that's saying. <laughs> but have you, ever, have you ever done it before? Have you ever uh, yes. uh, shot a bow and arrow? Yes. I have too. I did it in college. Uh, for me, it was high school uh, because. Yeah, there was like, hey, it was it was gym in the spring. They had nothing else to do, so they set out a bunch of targets and let us go at it and didn't give, didn't give us a whole, whole lot of instruction. And right. the bows were not like, it wasn't like a combine bow. It was like a, a, like a little rinky-dink, like starter student bow, whatever it's going to be. But them still, things still hurt like hell if they run, run up when they, when they, um, um, without an arm guard. <laughs> yes, I was gonna say I did it in college, and I, you know, myself and a bunch of uh, uh, buddies, we were, you know, we talk about a bunch of dorks, like fellow comic book guys, right? Mm-hmm. 
you know, we were like, yo, there's an archery thing going on, you know, like that meets, uh, uh, you know, like every, 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 whatever day it was. So we decided to go down and there was this dude who was like a real competition bow guy with a compound bow, mm-hmm. you know, using that for his practice time, but he's also using that to teach, you know, other people the sport. So I definitely, you know, we definitely had some fun sending arrows flying down the gym right. uh, towards targets. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. As a matter of fact, it, when that happened in high school, because obviously, well, not even obviously, but if you if you know anything about me, especially during the course of the, the show, you know, Hawkeye is probably one of my favorite, you know, is, it was has been one of my favorite characters. So I've never taken it up past that. And but seeing this and a couple of people that I know who are actually wanting to get into archery and have been into archery that I've met uh, in the past like year or two. I was like, yeah, I kind of might want to, might want to actually take it up again, but I also don't want to scrape up because <laughs> especially with a <laughs> compound bow or some shit like that, do you know how you will lose, you will lose layers of skin. Oh yeah. Yeah. On your forearm, depending yeah. on how, uh, on how, uh, how well you're work, you're, how well you're doing. So well, yeah. Yeah. How bad your forearm is will definitely, will definitely bring the hurt. Um, yeah. so that being said, like, yeah, that I'm, 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 so when I saw this article, I was like, yeah, I'm, that, this is kind of, it's kind of funny that, um, that, uh, that's been coming up lately and you know, that she's liking it so as well as she does. And I'm pretty sure that will probably spark other people, um, based on her characteriz- characterization of, uh, Kate, you know, will probably, you know, will probably help younger folks also wanting to get into ar- archery if they haven't already, you know? Right, I wouldn't be. I would not be surprised at all if that uh, we will see a little bit more of that. But it's an interesting thing to think about. I'm like, listen, I live in a metropolitan. I live in the biggest city, you know, one of the biggest cities in the world. Mm-hmm. I'm like, hmm, where would I go to take? You know, like I know we could, I could take indoor archery lessons here in the city. I know they exist. Mm-hmm. So it, it makes me think. I'm like, hmm, I wonder if this is something I would take up again. Right. I mean, wouldn't see that's now. I kind of wonder that too because I know there are obviously you know you can go find gun places. I don't know if those would be the places that you could go for that, or you, you know, I'm pretty sure right. gun people. I mean, like, <laughs> we got we got we got people drunk axe throwing up here, so exactly. you know, mm-hmm. that's like a thing. So yeah, you know, there's got to be some archery places. So I just got to look into that. Now I'm in. Now I'm inter. Now, now I'm curious. <laughs> I'm gonna go down an internet rabbit hole and be like archery places in New York City. I mean, yeah, you yeah, you definitely do that. I, I would be curious about that, and because uh, I and I know a couple of people up there who are kind of looking for that kind of stuff. So you know, I'm sure. and then I'm gonna start looking into. Then I'm gonna start looking into the New York Penal Code about all right, what's legal? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm pretty sure it's it's probably less so than. Uh, guns but probably more regulated yeah so i'm definitely going to be looking at that i'll be like so it's legal in new york city you know i don't want to run afoul you know as as an officer of the court i don't necessarily want to run afoul of any laws so (laughs) yeah it's not like you're going to be like hey it's an open carrier uh a bow you know know, as as they do with guns and you know how see that was that's kind of the other thing right because it's like okay you know gun now is going to be like as a matter of fact i know one situation where a friend of mine one uh, to learn, one still wants to learn how to run archery, but her dad wanted her to learn how to to handle guns first. He's like, yeah, basically said like, yeah, you could do that, but first let, let me show you, you know, let me take you to the range to show you how to do this. And she and he took her to the range to do that first. And I guess at some point she's gonna 
learn somehow some way to archery but her, her dad was the kind of like poo-pooing the art not necessarily poo-pooing uh, from what she told me but it kind of seemed like the way the way she said it was like yeah yeah you could do that but you know <laughs> learn this gun first <laughs> right kind of because he seemed like like i don't know what to do but he seemed like you know like he's one of he's, he's one of those type of a gun 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 type people but anyway hey more archery you know, less deaths, maybe. I don't know. I don't know the, how to spin that one. But regardless, here we go. Next up. Next is you. Wait, is that me? It. What's going on? Uh-oh. Yeah, I don't know what's going on here. What is that? I don't need to know what that is, and that's going to bother me. We're still on the air, so that's good. Um, WandaVision almost explored Scarlet Witch's uh, connection to Chaos Magic. So, um, yeah, 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 yeah. WandaVision did a whole lot of things. And apparently in a interview with uh, Rolling Stone, um, uh, Jacques Schaefer recently revealed a few unknown details about how the show came together. Uh, she revealed that at one point they were trying to implement a sequence uh, involving a chaos dimension to explore more of uh, Wanda's magic which I feel like we kind of sort of saw that in, but not really, you know. But that angle ultimately was left to the side, uh, quote-unquote. There was more dissection of the idea of chaos magic, the source of Wanda's powers, uh, in the writer's room, too. When we hired Matt, there was a long period where we were trying to design a chaos dimension, uh, which ended up not serving us and uh, wasn't necessary. And, of course, it uh, alludes to the fact that uh, Wanda's going to be in Doctor Strange 2. You know, uh, and the fact that uh, it might make a return there in some kind of way, shape, or fashion. Next up. Now, I literally have started going down the rabbit hole, folks. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We'll report back, but it doesn't look like it's illegal, although it is illegal to discharge them in, you know, to use them as a weapon. That's what it is. Wait, do you have to get a license? Uh, It doesn't appear so. Oh, okay. I think for a hunting license, I think you do. Yeah. But, uh, I'm definitely going to keep looking, folks. Don't take my word on that. Right. Um, that's just a conjecture on my part. Um, <laughs> next up is, uh, although it was prominent in Avengers Age of Ultron, WandaVision, uh, I mean, Scarlet Witch's MCU accent seemed to have disappeared as it became more subtle in Captain America Civil War and all but disappeared by Avengers Infinity War. According to Elizabeth Olsen, there's a simple explanation for it. Um, which started in Civil War, Elizabeth Olsen told Rolling Stone. The Russos told uh, said, can she just have a softer accent because she's been in America and has to have been speaking English more? And uh, she agreed. So she said, sure. Uh, so despite her accent disappearing, though, Olsen explained that it's poised to return in her next MCU project, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Um uh, because after the experience in WandaVision, Wanda goes back to an accent that's more true to her. Um, Olsen says now that she has a little bit more ownership of the character, she feels that she does retreat back to having this more honest expression. The sitcom part was totally different in WandaVision because she's trying to hold on to an American sitcom world and play the part the best she can. Okay. Uh, except for the fact that, okay. I think all it's the retcon. To be honest, yes, I think this is a retcon. But I'll, I'll you know what, I'll yeah, take the retcon. You know what, if she's willing to put that on record, fine. Yeah, because first of all, because yeah, so you could you could make that claim for the first part of Wonder Vision, 
after everything kind of happens and she's back in the real world, like, yeah, no, it, 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 they even talked about it then. Like they even brought uh, the uh, the uh, Pietro or, or fake Pietro even brought right. it up during the episode. Like what's your, you know, so yeah. clearly that was something you know as as that show tended to do spoke uh, the <laughs> spoke as the audience did, you know, because the audience was definitely asking those questions. Um, and I was like, yeah, sure, they softening it up is one thing, but they just straight up got rid of it. Like there was. <laughs> And it does make a good reason. Like the, the reasoning, sure, it makes sense. All right. And what's uh, funny is that you actually can see it progressively get softer. The problem, you know? right? Like the problem is depending on, like she, she grew up in Sokovia, and we don't. I'm not sure. Well, technically, she was still there. So when, or we don't necessarily know roundabout when you know Zemo and them kind of came over. Like we can kind of sort of say that. She was a young adult, like when, oh, when we mean, see. Oh, you mean when? Oh, oh you mean Strucker? I yeah, Strucker. Excuse you. me, sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, um, yeah, Strucker. Um, so a lot of people I know that born in a certain place have kept their accents for a good while. Like I can speak to my wife. Like she's been over here for twenty, thirty years, and she still got just as much. She's got a pretty heavy accent. Well, a I- heavy enough accent. So that is not a thing you just soften up in a matter of a couple of years from my experience. Uh, but this is movies and, you know, things happen that way. And some people, and again, it depends on how long you've been here. And they have, like people who, have, who grew up here who are from some other place, obviously it's easier for them to lose because, right. you know, that kind of thing. So I'm not discounting that either, but we don't know if that's the case. Going too far into this more than I expected, than I wanted to, honestly. Um, so let's Next move time. on. Yes. <laughs> What's next? Um, Emma Stone responds to rumors of her return as Gwen Stacy. Uh, so Emma Stone is aware of, of the rumors that she'll be back as Gwen, Gwen Stacy in The Amazing Spider... Well, wait. That she'll be back in, as Gwen Stacy from Amazing Spider-Man 2 in Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, and now she's provided a response. Ever since it's been reported that Jamie Foxx is reprising his role as Electro in the John White's film... Uh, there's been rumors that other characters from previous uh, Sony projects since Toronto Web Slinging Hero will also appear in the projects. In the project, uh, that includes other Spider Man actors such as Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield as their respective uh, love interests in Chris's Dust, Dunst, and Stone. And we also know about um, Alfred Molina and other folks, you know, um, also coming back. So apparently, um, we'll, Spider-Man No Way Home will reportedly be Marvel Studios' live-action attempt at a Spider-Verse story on the heels of the animated film's success. Uh, aside from the aforementioned characters, Charlie Cox from Netflix and mostly, and the mostly separated side of the franchise is also supposedly reported reprising is also supposedly reprising his role as Matt Murdock. Excuse me, folks. Uh, thus far. Only Alfred Andrew. That's supposed to be Alfred Molina, not Andrew. Um, but anyway, that's a typo. Yep, typo. Screen rant. Get your shit together. Um, hey, uh, editors. Yeah, no right. Um, this is, and of course, uh, Andrew Garfield, the famously denying the 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 rumors, which he interestingly walked back on uh, immediately after. So Emma Stone basically says uh, she's heard the rumors. I don't know if I'm supposed to say anything, but I'm not involved. 
uh, quote unquote. Uh, I'm not. I don't know what you're supposed to respond. Uh, what you respond to as an alumnus? That doesn't mean now. She could say that, and it's probably true. She could also say that and avoiding the Disney snipers or Disney and Sony snipers. Mm. So we don't know. Um, but yeah, there you go. She, she's she's saying she's saying at this point she is not involved in the project. Well, actually, according to this article, she says she's not involved in the Marvel Studios project. So I'm pretty sure somebody would be like, well, it's a Sony thing, so that's probably why she said that, because, you know, mm-hmm. it, you can say anything about it, but we don't know anything at this point outside of what she's saying or what they're saying. Next up. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, archer, beginner archery kits on Amazon on Amazon.com are not expensive. I wouldn't think so. What kind of bow? It's probably a... Like a like a little a student. recurve. No, yeah, I would say recurve. you can get a recurve, okay. like a decent looking recurve bow. Sure. And like just art, like like just beginner stuff, because that's what we are. We would be beginners. Not we're not looking to spend tons of money, but even uh, a recurve uh, bow that kind of looks like a uh, like a uh, kind of a cool Hawkeye bow. Right. Um, hundred bucks. You know, it's a set with arrows and targets. Mm-hmm. So. I feel like so, uh, anyway, I, feel I am like, not advertising this, folks. But you can go to you know, as we're going to say later, go to our uh, link on our website for Amazon and make sure to uh, um, what you call it. Uh, if you're going to buy an archery set, make sure that you uh, go to Amazon through our link. Right. I feel like there has been something in the comic book where Clint has 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 made quips about a compound bow or or a recurve, one or two, or probably both at, at some point. That you know. right. so anyway. Next up. <laughs> Next up, folks. Uh, so Seth Rogen's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles reboot is coming in 2023. It's been a full year, almost a full year, since Seth Rogen signed on to produce a new animated uh, TMNT movie for Nickelodeon. But now the project is fine, uh, finally has a release date. Variety is reporting that the Turtles' next theatrical adventure will premiere on August 11th, 2023. Rogan himself confirmed the news on his Twitter account. The post also included a photo of what looks like a page from a young Leonardo's notebook. Comple- I did look at this. Complete with notes about mutations, references to other characters in the Turtles' orbit, and even a few doodles that you can look at on uh, Seth Rogan's uh, tweet dated June 1st. 2021 and if you are checking out the video version of this here podcast you can see said tweet from the article right. yeah just very quickly rogan explained that the new movie would put special emphasis on the characters as teenage personalities the reboot is well, will mark the first uh turtles film to hit the big screen since teenage mutant ninja turtles out of the shadows premiered in 2016 it's supposed to also utilize CG animation similar to 2007's TMNT. Okay, okay I was about to say, because I could have sworn one or both of those were animated. So there you go. Um, as opposed to a, a live action joint and hopefully no vanilla ice. Next up, let's see. Or like a combination of live action and animation. That's what I remember seeing in the recent Turtles movies. Right. Okay. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, an extended Super Mario... Wait, hold on. Are we really here already? I guess so. Uh, an extended Super Mario Brothers movie has been unearthed 28 years after release. Um, it's been nearly three decades since Super Mario Brothers movie arrived in theaters with the tagline boldly proclaiming, proclaiming, this ain't no game. 
Uh, shout out to Giant Bomb, by the way, also, uh, who also used that. Um, now, after all of this time, an extended version of the film, excuse me, pardon, uh, has been unearthed, restored, released online for all to see. The <laughs> This version of the film, dubbed the Morton Jankel Cut, after co-directors uh, Rocky Morton and Annabelle Jankel, um has been released by the Super Mario Brothers Archive, a group of fans who celebrate the movie uh, and have been involved in the special features on previous home releases of the film. <sighs> wow. People need more time on their hands. I mean, people, or less time on their hands? I don't know. Uh, yeah, less time, probably. The teams, uh, they've teamed with film uh, restorists uh, and filmmaker Garrett Gilchrist, to present a version of the movie that has never been seen by anyone outside of the production team. Their hope is that this cut will resonate more with fans than the theatrical cut of the film, which was garbage, I will say, uh, which was panned critically and flopped at the box office. You can watch it for yourself uh, in the link in the article. I don't know why people are doing this stuff, but God bless them, I guess. (laughs) To be such fervent fans of such a terrible movie, um, I guess, hey. Do your thing. Next up. Oh, compound bows are expensive. Yeah. Anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Yes, folks. This Speaking is... of characters who <laughs> used bows, <laughs> Robbie Amell and Stephen Amell are expanding the Code 8 universe. After spearheading the crowdfunded original film, the cousins are set to reprise their roles in the sci-fi sequel Code 8 Part 2. Jeff Chan is also returning to direct. Okay. Yes. No bows were used in the making of either of that film, however. <laughs> right. Oh, I'm definitely referring to Stephen Amell playing Arrow. Correct. Yeah, and Robbie Amell played uh, one part of um, Firestorm. So he was also in the Arrowverse also. But There it is. Yeah. Um, there it goes. Did you see... The, I know I've asked you this before. Have you watched that uh, wrestling show with him, or has it showed up yet? Have not. Have yeah. not. Sorry. Yeah. I don't know if did you even have any interest in it? Not really. Um, what now, what, what, what streaming it? service is it on? Might be Stars, I believe. I can't. Oh. I don't know. I don't get Stars. Yeah, same here. Anyway, next up, um, he man's new animated series look to Marvel for inspiration. Apparently, um, according to this article, when a filmmaker like Kevin Smith gets a hold of a popular franchise. Uh, it's natural to be curious what he'll do with it. Uh, that goes double for something like his new He-Man show at Netflix, because the streamer uh, so successfully reimagined She-Ra and the Princess of Power not long ago. Uh, recently, io9 spoke with um, Smith, who explained that while he's in awe of what the team did with She-Ra, his show, Message of Universe Revelation, is going in another direction. Uh, quote unquote, our manifest was to be fan servicey, which not surprising for for Kevin Smith. Um, Smith told io9 on the phone last month while promoting his new book. Uh, we didn't have the kind of creative, let's call it freedom, to reinvent the franchise the way that Shira did, and did it brilliantly. Noel Stevens's uh, Shira cartoon played a lot more played to a lot more people than it probably ever would have played to if they kept it in its original incarnation. But Shira, even if in this era, wasn't well known as a human of universe, so there's more room for creativity there. And in fact, that's what they were allowed to do. Uh, instead of reinvention, 
uh, Smith and his team went the other way, so they leaned hard into what the original animated series was, which is the only reason Smith took the job in the first place. And he says, uh, to be honest with you, I wouldn't have taken the job if they were like, you get to reinvent the human and the Masters of the Universe, Smith said. Uh, I'm not really that creative. <laughs> okay, no comment there. Uh, I would not be the guy you'd tap to reinvent something. But if you want to keep it going lovingly, true to the franchise, and just growing up the characters a little bit so their conversations are a little more adult-oriented, I'm your guy. So yeah, there you go. And he goes on from there, which we don't, we don't necessarily have to, you know. A little bit of honesty from, uh, well, not to say he's never been, but... I was about to say he's always honest about yeah, exactly. being, you know, about not necessarily being the most creative, you know... Right. Sent out there, so. But it's a, it's a honestly you don't really you don't really see influence yeah. of that nature, so. Yeah, he's definitely different. he's definitely uh, uh, candid when it comes to that stuff. Exactly. So, next up. I was about to say bows are much more expensive. Than <laughs> <that>. <laughs> Wait, you said bows are much more expensive than what? Uh, uh, bows are much more expensive through Bass Pro Shops. I was about to, you know, yeah, I was wondering the, why you hadn't looked looked at that avenue, but yeah, that, well, because Bass Pro Shops is not a thing in New York City. But you know, you got to go to the burbs and you got to go to you know you country, where country folk live to get to a Bass Pro Shop. Right? Do you have a Dicks? Uh, yeah, but they generally don't carry um like hunting stuff. Gotcha. You know, uh, not within the five boroughs. Probably a so, Walmart. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, no, you've got to leave. But the point is, you've got to leave the, the immediate five boroughs to get sure. to someplace where they would even consider selling this stuff, like uh-huh. in Jersey or like further out on Long Island or upstate New York. So, uh, but I laughed. I was like, well, where would I buy this if I was, uh, if I didn't have access to Amazon? Well, there's Bass Pro Shops. So there goes uh, Google. Yeah. So uh, as I uh, leave that to go to the next uh, news store we For have. For now, anyway. <laughs> Right, exactly. I'll, don't worry, folks. I will keep you informed as to what I find. Um, my adventures with Superman. Uh, Jack Quaid fronted this. Jack Quaid fronted animated series has gotten a two season order from HBO Max and Cartoon Network. Um, Jack Quaid is lending his voice to the titular hero uh, in the series. And it follows the adventures of Superman and Lois Lane. Um, it features twenty somethings. Clark Kent, the bright and driven Lois Lane, played by Alice Lee from uh, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, and their best friend Jimmy Olsen as they begin to discover who they are and everything they can accomplish together as an investigative reporting team at the Daily Planet. So uh, there is definitely um, a time period in uh, Superman's career that they are focusing upon here. Mm-hmm. Also, who... Who, who are we talking about? Any of these people. Not uh, Jack Quaid. Oh, and... You don't know who Jack Quaid is? No, I don't. Jack Quaid is, I want to say he is the char- the main character in The Boys. Oh. That's Dennis Quaid's son. Well, okay. That, okay. Yeah, that right. kind of figured, but, or assumed, but. Um... Right. No, he is the, um, he is not the, not the, not the, the. I guess he's the, the focus character, the the human um, point of view character gotcha. uh, uh, from the boys. Oh, you haven't seen the boys yet? No. Okay. He's he's the he's the uh, the main I guess protagonist as it were. Okay. 
So that's why that's why you didn't get a, a, a who from me because of that. Gotcha. I recognized uh, I, I recognized uh, him from there. So, gotcha. but also this art style um, kind of puts me in mind of, and I'm assuming they didn't. I don't think they said it here, but uh, the art style looks like the same art style that um, from that uh, the the uh, Voltron reboot uh, the, on, on Netflix. Which I'm not, I'm not not opposed to. I'm just saying that it's, it's, it is... Um, yeah, it's definitely it is, anime-influenced. Right. So, if if that is the case, then that'll, that'll work out pretty nicely. Um, but yeah, two seasons already, and they haven't even uh, hit the ground. That's, uh, that's something. Next up... Um, okay, don't, don't, don't you do this. Okay, there we go. Titan Season 3 begins filming finale uh, for HBO Max. Uh, DC's Titans is heading to HBO Max for season three later this year, and the hype is building to see the team back together. Uh, while the release date is right around the corner, the show is still filming, and now work has started on the big finale. Director of photography Boris uh, Majowski posted a behind-the-scenes photo of the slate being used for the final finale, which will be the season the season's thirteenth episode. Uh, Majewski, I apologize if I'm butchering your name, says that uh, in the caption that uh, filming started yesterday and he's working with uh, director Chad Lowe on the, direct, on the episode. You can check out the full post below where you can see um, his Instagram post with the marker uh, and the caption reads, Finale on Titans Season 3 starts today with a man and hashtags a bunch of people and DC and all that kind of good stuff. From, from the uh, Instagram post. So, cool. Next. All right, we get some John Wick news wrapping up the news portion of our show. Mm-hmm. So, John Wick 4 has cast Rina Sawayama to star alongside Keanu Reeves. The singer-songwriter is making her movie debut. Um, this is reported by Deadline. Not much is known about the fourth installment of the franchise yet, including who Sawayama will be playing, although it has been confirmed that Ian McShane will be reprising his role as Winston. Production begins this summer with filming set to take place on location in France, Germany, and Japan. Hmm. Actually, there's one more article after this, which is John Wick related. Yes. That you put in. Um, yes. So, and this one, yeah. So this is one you told me about after the show, and I couldn't, or I thought you might have told me in before the show, or the the one that you just read. No, yeah. yeah the, no, no, no. This is the one you're about to read. Is the one I added. No, no. I, I mean, added. like last week, you mentioned you, oh, you right. reminded me of this last week, but I couldn't remember if it was if it was during the show or after the show, and I think it was after the show. Right. Um, but this one, yeah, this one that you have have now, so which is today, which, yeah, yeah, which is cool news. Donnie Yen cast opposite Keanu Reeves as John Wick's friend. Uh, so, first off, Donnie Yen, dope ass martial artist. You can see him in anything; it's going to be something good. You know, Iron Monkey. You know, that's all you have to say right there, and you just, you know, <laughs> uh, um, you could just start off. But and. Also, I was about to say, man, Ip Man. Ip Man, excuse me, serious, excuse me. I, uh, wait, wait, wait. Well, no, it was also Iron Monkey. Yeah, I know, but I'm just saying yeah. Ip Man is but like yes, one of also those things too. Yes, had a ton of notoriety. Absolutely, for. absolutely. Either one of those would 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 uh, would uh, would be like, okay, also Rogue One. We're not even talking about, yeah, exactly, we're not even talking about Rogue One. Yeah, um, but 
this also makes sense because, well, I was just going to read this first because Keanu Reeves won't be fine alone when he replies this is his role as John Wick in what, John, uh, John Wick Chapter 4, which apparently no, uh, no snappy um, um, subtitle <laughs> as, as Parallelum did. I but um, I was about to say yet. Well, maybe. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, according to Deadline, actor, action star Donnie Yen has joined the cast of director Chad uh, Stalinsky's film as an old friend of Wick's. Uh, the character description hints that the two have shared history, and that is actually also true, um, as well as many common enemies. Quote, quote, we are lucky to have Donnie Yen to join the franchise, says Stalinsky. I'm looking forward to for- working with him in this exciting role. Now, also... If you've been keeping up with this franchise, you know that this is this should not be a big of a surprise because Donnie Yen was also wait, if I'm not mistaken, Donnie Yen was also in The Matrix. That's a good question. I think he was. I'm fairly sure he was in um Which? Seraph he played Seraph in um I don't remember the last two that well. Yeah, he played, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I'm about to say Donnie Wick. What am I doing? Donnie Yen. <laughs> Matrix. Yeah, I th- I'm almost certain that was him that, uh... oh wait, or maybe it wasn't him. Hold on. Oh shit. Maybe it wasn't him. I only know the first Matrix really well. The last two are real blurs to me. Uh, let's see. Oh, wait, maybe it wasn't him, and I just totally. Well, shit. Okay. I could just wonder what Donnie Yen in one of them, though. And. Because I felt like he was in one of them, and then somebody else took over the same role in the next one. So maybe I'm tripping. And I'm thinking. No, that was Tank. But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Um. He was in. Wait, Donnie Yen was in that third. Triple X movie? That's, I don't remember. That's well, I'm looking at his IMDB right now and it says that. Mm-hmm. So alright, I may have, I might be tripping. So I might be thinking of somebody else in, in that Matrix role. But I could have sworn that that was a thing that they had worked together and it was in the uh from the Matrix. So I stand very much corrected. Um and I apologize. Whoever did actually play <laughs> Sarah oh, no. uh, in that movie because I totally thought it was Donnie. Yen. I was about to say you got to check the ma- I was about to say you got to check the Matrix IMDb to check the actor list, the cast um, list. Actually, you know what? I was actually right there. It wasn't. I? Um, yeah, Let's see Matrix Reloaded. Let's go Reloaded. Here we go. Yabba And actually, the people are watching this at the same time, so this is going to be great. Oh, that's right. They can see you online. They can see you right they, in the stream. They are totally seeing me. Yep, going to Colin Chow. Ah, uh, there you go. So I apologize to, to, to Colin Chow for that that uh, blatantly bad mistake. Um, also, shout out to Monica Bellucci, just for no reason at all. Anyway, because <laughs> I would not be surprised if she's the next one to show up in. Because we, okay. Halle Berry has shown up. Now, yes, they, they've... Uh, wait, let me afraid that. Go back to that. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne showed up from The Matrix, pretty much playing Matri- uh, play, playing Morpheus in uh, John Wick 2 and 3. Mm-hmm. Um, and Halle Berry showed up, so it's not surprising they're getting some more caliber of, of, of folk uh, in to do this. So the, the addition of Donnie Yen is welcome. I will say that, regardless. Definitely. Um, because who doesn't like Danny Yen? That dude's dope. 
All right. Next so, up, uh, we are transitioning we have... over to comic book news. Yep. Man, I could have sworn that was just shit. I don't know what's wrong with me. Um, three key figures in history. Oh, we, we are transitioning over into the comic book news, uh, by the way. Uh, three key figures in history of comics past. So I was supposed, I had intended to put this in last week's um, uh, lineup, but I did not. Uh, says here, the comic books business is mourning the passing of three key figures in the history of the medium and the business in this past, in well, in the past week, which is like a week prior to this. But um, an editor, a retailer, and a writer and publisher. So Greg Eid, I guess his name, um, or Edie, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, my apologies. Uh, the founder of the Seminole Pittsburgh comic store, uh, Edie's Entertainment, uh, passed away from COVID on May 20th, according to the store's Facebook. Uh, apparently it's a store that's been around since 1972, which is pretty much older than me, or slightly older than me. <laughs> so that's impressive. Uh, and the store continued in a series of locations, but Edie... Uh, Dan Frank, who also passed, which is a longtime editorial director at the uh, prestigious book imprint Pantheon, uh, passed away on May 24th, according to Publishers Weekly. Uh, Frank has uh, had much to do with the growth of the graphic novel in the U.S. as anyone uh, when he made the fateful decision in 1986 to, to publish Mouse, uh, a survivor's tale by Art Spiegelman in book format and distribute to bookstores. Um, let's see, and it talks a little bit more about that in Pantheon. And the last uh, passing is David Anthony Kraft, who is an editor, writer, and publisher during uh, a key period in the growth of comics fandom. Uh, passed away last week or week before last due to COVID, according to Comic Books Resources. Uh, beginning in the mid 70s, Kraft wrote comics for uh, Marvel, The Defenders, Savage She Hulk, DC, World's Finest. And Atlas Seaboard, uh, and children's books for a number of publishers. Uh, apparently, they knew him as the founder and publisher of Fictioneer Books, founded in 1974 to publish uh, science fiction. Uh, and it goes on uh, uh, talking more about him from there. So, um, condolences to all of these people's families and friends. Next up. Next up. All right. It's interesting. Star Wars introduces a new version of Anakin and Padme, and apparently they're both Jedi. So this is spoilers for Star Wars The High Republic, Light of the Jedi by Charles Soule, on sale now. And Star Wars The High Republic, The Rising Storm, which will be released on June 29th. So this is the... Uh, this is the novel series? Uh... Uh, so, Light of the Jedi is Charles Souls' novel. Yes, yes, that's the. No- I was about to say because I don't recall seeing that subtitle, or that um that 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 uh, that, that additional title on any of the comics. So right, this is yeah. all novel stuff. Yeah, that is the first novel that came out during the when the when the this whole initiative started uh, a couple of months, a few months back. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. So uh, and then, the Rising Storm is an is a an upcoming comic book, I believe. Is a is it a comic book or a novel? I'm not sure about that one. It looks like a novel, mm-hmm. but I think it's also leading into. Well, no, that's the next story. Never mind. Um, but I think yeah, it might so be. Yeah. It's like the, yeah, so it looks like these characters, um, Avar and Elzar, mm-hmm. who apparently had past relationships, but now. Um, you know, there may have been 
you know, there may be uh, stuff developing in these novels that that kind of parallel what happened between, uh, you know, about uh, uh, what what parallels the love story of Anakin and Padme being kind of uh, in secret and uh, behind the scenes. Sure, I believe Avar Chris is in is in yes, she's in the High Republic comic. Okay, Avar Chris and Elzar Man. Right. Okay. That second name is not familiar to me, but definitely Avar Chris has, has been slightly prominent in the uh, in the uh, High Republic book. Right. There's a hint that both Jedi still have feelings for each other despite their decision to break up once they became Jedi Knights. So they probably got it on when they're Padawans. Right. And of course, Jedi's can't have relationships because that's right. dumb. Um, I've always thought that part was kind of dumb. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And probably led to what happened. You know what? We're not going to go into that because that'll bring up some Clone War stuff. We're not doing that. Um, so, yeah, if you're finished with that. I am. Uh, speaking of some Star Wars High, uh, High Republic stuff, uh, Star Wars High Republic's new Marvel comic is a very intriguing mystery, according to this article. Uh, so apparently there is a conspiracy afoot in the next phase of Lucasfilm's High Republic series, as the Republic makes its play to expand into the Outer Rim through a diplomatic new fair. Uh, revealed as a part of StarWars.com's monthly The High Republic show, High Republic Adventure scribe Daniel Jose Older is uh, teaming up with artist David Watcher and colorist Giada um, Machicio for a new miniseries at Marvel Comics. Star Wars The High Republic Trail of Shadows um, features covers from David Lopez, introduces two new heroes who are investigating a mystery in the wake of explosions, uh, explosive attempts by the Nihil to disrupt the Republic fair, um, a diplomatic display of power by the Republic in the Outer Rim territories designed to highlight what Republic expansionism and membership can do for the embattled uh, citizens of the far-flung edges of the known uh, galaxy. Now, the Republic fair is definitely something that has been alluded to in during the run-up of this High Republic stuff, and I believe may have been kind of alluded to in the High Republic comic book also. Uh, the Jedi Order tasks uh, Emmerich Kafter to investigate the uh, Underwraps mystery, which ties to into the upcoming uh, novel The Rising Storm, which I believe that is what we just uh, talked about, uh, which according to Marvel editor... Tom Groneman will reveal the slow but surely growing splinters in the Order's Age of Enlightenment. Um, and yeah, we'll we'll leave it at that. So yeah, more Star Wars stuff, folks. During the High Republic, here it comes. Next, next up. So uh, the last Annihilation kicks off in Guardians of the Galaxy number fifteen, and that issue reveals the villain of the last Annihilation. So, um, apparently it's, is it 15 or 16? Because the article says 16 guardians of the galaxy galaxy 16 kicks off the last annihilation. The first crossover of Marvel's so-called new age of space. Right. Uh, I believe it's 16. 16. I think that's just yeah, a typo. It does say here. Well, so it says there, there's preview pages of 15, but yeah, it definitely says that the last annihilation is going to begin in 16. So right. assuming that these are, uh, yeah. Oh, okay. So fifteen has like a, a pre. So the preview that they're releasing from fifteen uh, teases who it is, and then right. sixteen actually goes right into Last Annihilation. Now right. I get it. Okay. 
So because I was looking at the image, the cover image where the uh, the villain is um, put in shadow, right? You know, basically blacked out so that we don't see who it is, and that is number sixteen. Right. So uh, so in fifteen we get um, a hint of it, and that's where the preview pages go, and then we'll find out in sixteen in July's uh, in, in 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 that July issue of Guardians of the Galaxy number sixteen, uh, who the mastermind behind this latest uh, annihilation threat is. Also, looking at this panel, uh, is the Star Brand coming into play, or does 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 Quill have the Star Brand now? No, but he has, but he has like significantly different powers now. I, I, I know, yeah, I knew that, but like I said, that that image is kind of weird. Like we know where the Star Brand is at this point, mm-hmm. um, but I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> that's <laughs> you don't just do an image like that and and not not you know, especially if, if folks in the know, you know. Or maybe that's the like, we don't know what this what this whole page is talking about. Also, because it could be they, maybe they're talking about it or something, right? Or even if it does have anything to do with the Star Brand, which you know what, I wouldn't be surprised if it wouldn't at some point, right? Because this is a sword. This is connected to sword, so it, there's definitely an Earth basis to this as well, right? So there you go. And also, wait, who's writing? Isn't that our Ewing writing sword? Mm-hmm. So there you go. I think so. I think so. Yep. Synergy, folks. Next up. Uh, to you. Um, oh. Uh, Kate and Otley are Marvel's post-immortal creative team for Hulk. Oh, did we skip the Hellfire Gala preview? Did we? Um, you know what? Might have. Hold on for a second. Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Well, because oh, it's a X- it's 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 a preview for X Men Twenty One. Oh, is... I got it. No, I got it in the wrong place. I got it. I got it in there. I just had it after this. Okay. So. I was about to say you could do the Hulk story, and I'll just talk about the Hellfire Gala. Go ahead. Okay, sure. Uh, Donny Cates and Ryan Otley are joining forces for Marvel's upcoming Hulk relaunch. Marvel just gave me the keys to the strongest one there is. Kate said, "Ha ha! Oh boy." Uh, you guys are just not ready for this. You are about to find out what happens when Ryan Otley and I get angry. And guess what? Pretty sure you're going to like us a lot when we're angry. So, you know, Kate's has kind of got that mentality of, um, you know, well, not necessarily confident, but he, he likes to, he likes to, to um, you know, um, spin is not the right word, but he, um, he likes to build up his, his, his stuff. Which, you know, given the way he's firing lately with, like, what you said with Thor and some of the other stuff he does, he's, he's probably justified. Anyway, uh, the first look at Kate Sinatley's Hulk, which features colors by Frank Martin, will appear in August's uh, Free Comic Book Day 2021, Avengers Hulk. Uh, the official uh, synopsis for the readouts is below, and I'm probably not going to go into it, but you can go check it out. Um, you can go check it out on his article. You might even be seeing it right now. So, what do you what are you thinking? I mean, obviously, we don't know. Try, yeah. Obviously, we don't know how um, Immortal's going to end. He how uh, to end, and we're definitely going to be missing. I feel like I'm going to be missing. Uh, I can't speak for you, but definitely missing Al Ewing on Hulk. And this is probably seem like it's going to go in a very different direction. Possibly, we don't know though. Right, right. We don't know what state the Hulk is going to be in at the end of Immortal. Right, and so, whether it will play whether or not it was going to play into this next version. Exactly. I mean, it's, there's definitely precedent for creators, you know, working in this uh, 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 work for hire realm, you know, for Marvel 
putting toys back into the toy box where they found them. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there have been a lot of revelations, you know, especially the immortal revelation here, mm-hmm. that, you know, uh, may prove to be something long lived. So we'll see if, uh, you know, see, we'll see how this ends in Immortal Hulk and how Kate's picks it up. Right. And and given how certain histories of the Marvel, uh, Marvel history have played out, I would I would be surprised if they did kind of take that away. Because then I feel like that would kind of sort of be stepping on what we already know to be and what we're still knowing to be with uh, Maestro. Right. So. But right. I mean, I, what I was going to say is I'm reminded of Kate's picking up the, the picking up the ball from Jason Aaron and Thor. Right. So the hope is that, you know, it's a it's maybe not a seamless transition, but definitely a, a well thought out and executed transition. Right. Yeah, here's hoping. And given that Kate's at this point has gotten what what is he? Um, he's had. Has he had Spidey? Did Kate do any Spidey? Work at this point, I don't remember. But you know, we do. We know he's done Silver Surfer. We know he's done Thor, and he's about to get. Um... Oh yeah, he had he had Thanos. That was the big. That was his big thing. Oh right, 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 right. Kate's at, right. Kate's had Thanos, and then he took on um, Thor. Then he then he had um, Silver Surfer. Then uh, no, no, he had Venom. Oh yeah, he did have Venom. Well, yeah, actually, wait, yeah, because still have Venom above until recently, right? Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, with Silver Surfer, yeah, with Silver Surfer, uh, um, Thor, Thanos, not in that order. Um, yeah, and and all that stuff you mentioned. So, and yeah. Venom, it's, yeah, and Venom. So his track record is, I guess, you know, given kind of solid. For some, right. And, so for we'll see how it, you know. We'll just see how he picks up the ball. That's all. Yeah, and Otley's art on this that'll be. I mean, listen. You know, I'm not the biggest fan of Ryan Otley's art. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, you know, a lot of people thought it would translate to, to Spider-Man given his run on Invincible, but right. it wasn't for me. We'll see how it plays in Hulk. Maybe mm-hmm. it'll be different. Maybe. Next up. Next up. So we're a little bit of backtracking here, at least in our uh, show notes. The Hellfire Gala is not about to begin. Is underway in the X-Men number twenty-one. So I guess maybe this is timed for a week ago. Well, begin um, in earnest, honestly. Public, I mean, yeah, is that? Is that probably begin in earnest because, like, yeah, even though we saw the start of it in, in Marauders, it kind of got to a point, like you said earlier. So maybe I guess they're meaning like, well, what, it's, right? It's underway. Right. So Al is underway, and the preview that we have is for X Men number twenty one, which is where, um, you know, uh, you know. Uh, actually, X-Men number 21 is the ending of this volume of X-Men, and it's the ending of Jonathan Hickman's run on the flagship X-Men title. Mm-hmm. And um, the heroes of Krakoa debut in this issue, and it's a changing of the guard as the first X-Men team of Krakoa debuts. One era ends as a new one begins, and the handoff happens here. So this is X-Men number 21. This is the preview that Roddy Cat is scrolling through. And um, you see some of the design stuff and pages. So, all right. So, yeah, it's uh, going to be somewhat interesting, to say the least. Uh, Next up, though, uh, Infinite Frontier brings a lost God-level threat back to the the DC Universe. 
Uh, and this is spoilers for Infinite Frontier Secret Files number three, which is apparently out this week digitally. Um, Infinite Frontier has seen the return of many faces from the comics past, with heroes like uh, Jade and Obsidian, the children of the Golden Age Green Lantern Adam Scott, uh, stepping back into the spotlight. Pardon me, excuse me. Uh, after a long time, it makes sense that some of their villains would also follow suit. That's the case in Inf- Infinite Frontiers Secret Files number three, which sees the return of an old adversary of Infinity Inc. Uh, after meeting with the father, father in Infinity Frontier Zero, Jade gets an alert from her Starheart, source of her power. Um, and everything that's been going on in the DC universe since she and her brother returned, Jade is unsure about the Starheart. Uh, and some other things happen. And who is this person that, um, who is this person that's Chroma? Um, I don't know who that is because my DC knowledge is not, you know, not that great. So there you go. You got, you got me. So, and and I definitely don't know that much about Infinity Inc. So let us move on next. Uh, next up, so Batman and King Shark headline DC's free comic book day 2021 releases. Uh, DC's free comic book day lineup includes books for readers of all ages featuring the likes of Batman, the Suicide Squad, Amethyst, and more. Um, the full list of titles is on this web webpage, that website that we are going through now. Through CBR, who is reporting this? Uh, right, it's not our man Tim Dog. Um, so we have Batman, a free comic book day special edition. We have uh, Suicide Squad, King Shark, um, and includes a first look at Suicide Squad, Get Joker. That's their free comic book day book. Um, Kami Garcia and Gabriel Piccolo, Teen Titans, Beast Boy Loves Raven. So this is a preview of the graphic novel from the New York Times bestselling series. Um, Shannon Hale and Dean Hale doing Amethyst, Princess of Princess of Gem World, um, and includes a preview of the graphic novel Batman and Robin and Howard, uh, which includes a preview of the graphic novel from the New York Times bestselling author of Jedi Academy and Space Time, Jeffrey Brown. Okay, and that is it. Yeah, cool. Um, I guess good stuff. Yeah, we'll see when one of the free comic book days happens. That's in August, I think. I know, but I think they said, yeah, it says, yeah, August 14th, but I think there have been other stuff they said. They've, I don't know if they if they went back and said, no, it's just going to be this day, but because one, they remember them saying something like, they're going to do multiple days of Free Comic Book Day or something. Regardless, okay. yeah, I guess this is the, the official one. Anywho, uh, Ty Fam teams up with a new Kid Flash in Green Lantern Alliance graphic novel. Uh, introduced in the pages of the Green Lantern Legacy uh, in... Yes. DC Comics uh, middle-grade graphics novel by Min Lei. Uh, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing it like, right. And artist Andy Tong, the 13-year-old Vietnamese-American Thai fan become, became the latest recruit into the Green Lantern Corps and a hit with readers. It's no surprise then that today uh, DC uh, Comics announced that Le and Tong are returning with a graphic novel sequel, uh, Green Lantern Alliance. That will see Fam uh, teaming up with Kid Flash to take on a new nemesis. 
Uh, Typham most recently appeared in DC Festival of Heroes, the Asian Superhero Celebration Anthology comic to celebrate Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. Uh, Green Lantern Alliance arrives in stores and on digital on April 5th, 2022. And you can see the cover right there if you are watching the video. Um, and shout out to those who are, by the way. Got questions? Put them in the chat. If you are watching, uh, did you read that legacy graphic novel? The Green Lantern one? Yeah, yeah. I did. I have it. How'd you like it? It was good. Yeah, because I meant to actually go back because I know we got a, had gotten a copy of it. Um, um, yeah, and uh, I've been meaning to go back and you know, and I don't know if that character has shown up. That character hasn't shown up in like Green Lantern or Future State or not yet. Yeah. So it's just kind of been relegated to uh, graphic novels so far. So, okay. Mm-hmm. Next up, though. Oh, this is big spoilers for Green Lantern number three out this week. Mm-hmm. So we won't talk too much about it, but um, Roddy Cat is somewhat familiar with what, what where this is going from what the events of Future State. But one of the Green Lanterns that uh, unfortunately has... Um, had to deal with the loss of the power of a power ring has been rearmed in more ways than one. So um, I will leave that to folks who are scrolling through this to find out who that is, but I don't want to necessarily spoil all of it for Roddy Cat. Sure, and that being that I pulled this article, I already know one of them, so... Or I already know, you know, about this part about it anyway. Right. So, Cool. Uh, DC spent 35 years trying to fix continuity. Now it's your turn. Um, everything was put back where it belonged. And we do mean everything. All the damage from all the crises were us undone, according to this quote in this article. One more time with emphasis. Uh, all the damage from all the crises was undone. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, long-time DC readers might have missed that little nugget of uh, perhaps vital information. Uh, slipped somewhat inconspicuously into a May 25th uh, press announcement from the publisher about the fourth and fifth issues of the upcoming six-issue uh, limited series Infinite Frontier. That is on sale in August. Wait. Have, I know we got zero. Have those? Have we seen more than one um, issue of that? Of what? Of Infinite Frontier. No, not yet. Okay, so yeah, because it's like it's it's almost June, and they're talking about the fourth and fifth, which I guess. Well, yeah. Well, unless it's weekly, going to be weekly or something. I guess that's yeah. Never mind. So anyway, um, written by Joshua Williamson, Infinite Frontier springs from the game-changing events of January's Dark Knight's Death Metal Number Seven by Scott Snyder and his brief exposition-heavy epilogue which is more or less reiterated in March's Infinite Frontier Zero framing story written by Williamson Snyder and James Tinian IV. Uh, the 10-page death metal epilogue mainly defined the parameters of a new, bigger DC universe. Uh, it also set the stage for the events of Infinite Frontier and, I want to say, by proxy, front, um, Future State, but not really. Well, I kind of did actually, because they, they, they did say Future State kind of bored out of that in some kind of way, shape, or form. Anyway, uh, it says here the the timeline was unknotted once and for all. 
uh, and all our memories returned, Barry Allen re- explained to Wally West, which I did not read Dark, Dark Knight's Death Metal, so I don't know anything. I'm sure you can shed some light on this, on that part if it needs to be. But, but basically, this article is kind of going through all of that stuff and getting to a point to say they are really taking a long time to setting that up. Um, there's a uh, there's unfortunately a lot of background in this because they're talking about DC comic book continuity, which right. has no rules. Right. So let's see. DC sounds likely. Oh God! Get to the point. Um, right. So the point is that uh, you know the new editorial view is that all DC stories happened, and it's more or less up to them to determine how. Right. Not even mentioning if the how even matters to them at all. Right, and everything that happens was going to stick, no matter what how people mm. feel about it or not. That part has been um, shut out. But you know what? I'm not going to go into more into this because this is long. Um, but that, yeah, but basically what we just said kind of kind of is the case, and kind of stepping into uh, Infinite Frontier uh, is the case. But uh, I thought it was saying something about um, readers might have something to do with. Uh, this, is a, this is kind of a think piece. Yeah, it's looking that way. Because I could have sworn I saw something earlier when I was going to kind of scrumming through this uh, about that. But yeah, it's looking more think PC as I as I parse through it. Sorry about that, folks. Next up. Next up, Power Rangers. The Omega Rangers discover why the universe hates them in some hyperbole. In the latest issue of Power Rangers, the Omega Rangers are beginning to understand why the Rangers may be the most hated team in the universe. Hey, they haven't asked me. Um, this contains major spoilers for Power Rangers number seven by Ryan Parrott, Francesco Monterino, Raul Angulo, Jose Enrique Fernandez, and Ed Dukeshire. One of these names does not resemble the others. On sale now. Uh, the Power Rangers are currently experiencing one of the toughest periods of their lives. On Earth, their worst enemy is taking control of their hometown. While in space, the Omega team is facing nearly insurmountable odds with few, if any, allies. The Omega Rangers have had to rely on questionable temporary alliances recently, and it's starting to become clear that the rest of the universe has a general hatred for the team. So, okay, so, uh, you know, if you're interested in this... Give this issue a take a look. You know, give this issue a look. See, I would go so far as to say, check out the series because, like, uh, like the, the, they pretty much restarted a new volume, and this Omega Rangers thing is a brand new thing um, that came out of an event from the last volume of Power Rangers, and in, in therein. So, you know, if you are curious as to how that, or actually, may have been a current volume, not because they did they did kind of stop the book and then. Uh, just restarted with some other stuff going on, including this stuff. So, if you're interested in any of that, those Power Rangers books have actually been fairly decent from what I've read, and I've read, I did read the, like the first volume of it. And I need to, I would like to catch up on this stuff to see what they're doing with it, because like I said, they had this big, big splash out event that kind of changed some things, and now they pretty much have carte blanche to do whatever they want. Sounds like uh, in the universe. Anyway. Uh, Don McGregor returns to Flower, uh, to Zorro and flights. 
Uh, veteran comic book scribe Don McGregor, the man who breathes four-colored life into Marvel Comics' Black Panther and Kill Raven, amongst others, uh, DC Comics' Nathan Desk, as well as his own Detective uh, Inc. and Saber, <clears throat> excuse me, joins their ranks of American mythology pr- uh, productions with his long-awaited return to The Fox with Zorro fri- Flights. Wait, didn't Don McGregor also do, um, like, the Disney stuff? Like Donald Duck and all that kind of stuff? Do- if we're thinking about the same Don McGregor, this is the Black Panther Don McGregor right. in Jungle this Adventures. Is. This is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just checking. Uh, anyway, making his start in the comic book um, uh, writing stories from the legendary Warren Publishing, he moved to uh, Marvel Comics in 1972. Yeah, 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 we'll get into all of that. Uh, That's cool. You met him. He is a, you know, he's like this jovial little dude. Mm-hmm. You know, he's definitely an older gentleman. Right. But, uh, he's, you know, he, he's a pleasant guy to talk to. Like, his name definitely strikes some chords with a lot of people. So, I know, like, it's a, you know, outside of his Black Panther run. Uh, put it that way. Uh, with this three-issue limited series featuring art by Vincenzo uh, Carudo and Claudio Vela, Magrella sets uh, Zaro on a adventure for the first time in 15 years by bringing him face-to-face with a fire-breathing dragon. But something doesn't seem right, obviously. Although the creature soars in the air, breathing fire and fury, it appears to be controlled by mere men. Uh, Zaro Flights number one features uh, an on-date Sale date of August twenty fifth, twenty twenty one. There you go. Next, next up, uh, Radiant Black number three rushes back to print. I've been reading this series; it's been pretty good. Hmm. Um, this is a press release from Image Comics, and um, it's returning with a third printing. So, this book by Kyle Higgins and Marcelo Costa is being rushed back to print yet again. This time, issue number three sold out completely at the distributor level. The reprint will feature a new cover by Geraldo Borges and uh, Marcelo Costa. That's good. Right. So I know Kyle Higgins, as speaking of uh, Power Rangers, uh, Kyle Higgins was the one who set off that whole thing with uh, him writing the the original um, volumes of comic book well, of Power Rangers and I believe oh, talked about apparently there's a recent so the the issue number three is a has the has a plot twist and I did not get to read uh, number three yet so I'm gonna have to go digging in our review copies to check out Radiant Black number three yeah I, I want to check out that series because the, the premise seemed kind of interesting and they said there was also some uh, Power Ranger eskiness a little bit to this series um, but uh, but apparently um Three is not the only one that's getting a, a reissue. Uh, four is also getting a second issue, uh, second printing. Um, and uh, well, and five is about to come out uh, on the 16th, on June 16th. So apparently, yeah, whatever that book's doing, it must be doing something <laughs> for to be getting these um, these reprints or or these uh, back to prints, I guess, whatever. Um, Next I want to. I think I did read number three. Now that I think about it, I think I remember the twist. But now I'm going to have to go back and double. Gotcha. Next up, though, uh, Dead Page Two: London Calling uh, returns to the music horror franchise. An encore is imminent for the musical horror anthology Dead Beats, as the sequel has just popped up on Kickstarter titled Dead Beats Two: London Calling, and not Electric Boogaloo. Um, <laughs> Editors, creators Joe Carello and uh, Eric Palicki's song-inspired Tales from the Crypt-esque franchise returns 
uh, at a wave blue world as the enigmatic enigmatic shopkeeper opens up a new location of her record shop dead beats uh in this go around dead beats has uh, popped up in london directly on the iconic Abbey Road of Beatles fame. And once again, she's in the market for haunted uh, artifacts and England seems ripe with possibilities. Uh, Debbie's London Calling uh, will feature 21 comic stories, once again weaved together with an interstitial narrative written by Carello and Palicki, starring the shopkeeper, this time drawn by Val Haverson. So that's cool. And there's a list of creators uh, that's involved in here. Um, yeah, sound good if you're if uh, if you've uh, interested in that, go check it out. Next up, and last but not least, actually, right. Last but not least, Friday Foster comic strip gets a hardcover collection from Ablaze. The classic comic strip Friday Foster is being collected for the first time ever in a remastered hardcover edition courtesy of Ablaze Publishing. As part of a deal with the Tribune Content Agency, Ablaze Publishing has announced. Uh, this collection, this first ever collection, um, Friday Foster, the Sunday strips is slated to go on sale Thursday, June 24th, and is currently available for pre-order. The hardcover collection includes all 214 Friday Foster Sunday strips featuring completely remastered colors and letters. It also includes multiple interviews and expanded sketchbook section, artwork, photos, essays, articles, behind the scenes info, and more. Created by James D. Jim Lawrence and illustrated by Jorge Jordi Langaron with Man-Thing creator Gray Morrow later taking over, Friday Foster originally ran from 1970 to 74, which is why I've never heard of this. So It was the first mainstream nationally syndicated comic strip to star an African-American character in the title role. Okay. Yeah, so Friday Foster is based off of the, I'm assuming based off of the uh, Pam Greer movie um, of the same name. I did not know. I also did not know that there was this. Uh, that uh, yeah, the comic strip was adapted into a feature film. Oh, the comic strip was adapted into a feature film in nineteen seventy-five. Right, this is the so is, right. right. So the comic strip came before the movie. Okay, I did not know that. That's cool. I actually might want to hunt this down. Um, uh, similar to the uh, Amazing Spider-Man st- uh, strips that, that that have been collected, but. But that's Friday Foster. So that's actually pretty cool. Now, the one last thing I wanted to say before we end off is that uh, this week, um, there is, coincidentally, um, another Pam Greer um, character made comic book form that came uh, that came up. TNT, wait, that's not, that's not Pam Greer. That's uh, Tamara Dobson. I'm sorry. Um, TNT Jackson. Um number one came out this week. Uh, TNT Jackson is a, uh, apparently is the comic book that is based, that is apparently coming off of the old black exploitation movie by the same name. Uh, came out this week. We don't have copies of it because I don't think we get tidal wave productions. I'm fairly certain we do not. Um, I don't know if this is also a reboot or this is like coming off of the old, um, off of the, uh, movie itself. So, I don't know. Might come back and, um, but definitely the, it's an interesting art style that chose to use for this. Um, but yeah. There you go. That, that is the thing that is out. Uh, speaking of old, um, uh, black exploitation movies, 
the made-to-cartoons, made-to-comic books, or vice versa. And with that, folks, uh, we are going to transition over into the end of the show. But first, an ad read. Well, are, do you want to do the ad read and then do your corner? Sure. Okay. So our last ad read of the night is for Amazon. Because, you know, when we've been going for a little while, this is what we finish with. Keep our podcast free by shopping at Amazon. Visit cspn.us, then click the Keep Our Podcast Free link at the top of the page. From there, scroll down and click on the Amazon link to shop. Purchase items from Amazon as you normally would, whether it's books, music, electronics, jewelry, apparel, Marvel Legends, or bow and arrow sets. For every purchase made on Amazon through our link, Amazon sends the CSPN a payment that helps us keep the Comic Book Chronicles podcast free for our listeners at no extra cost to you. Amazon.com through CSPN.us. Do it today. There's that's. Huh. I was about to say, did we freeze again? I no. still see Friday Foster on uh, the stream because um, the logo that I would have put. That's weird. I thought uh, uh, we need to do something about that. So the logo I would have I, that I normally use for the Amazon uh, um, spot has, let's say, manifested into something else. Okay. Uh, and I was not going to show that because it looks like spam. Understood. Uh, so that's why that's that's that. But what I'm, I'm going to do is put us back over into the two shot, <laughs> and so we can end this this uh, this weird ass show for this week. <laughs> is there an update? Well, well, actually, I do. I was about to say the only reason why I can actually keep track of this now because I literally have the YouTube and the Twitch feeds up on my iPad and phone. Sure. So that I can just monitor what's going on in them, just out of curiosity, just. It just seemed to it just seemed to be this week. I was like, you know what? I need to use both of them, you know, just like, to see what's going on. Yeah. So, I was like, we'll talk afterwards because you can also use restreamers, which is what we're using, so to 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 monitor both the chats. But yeah, but yeah, for that's also a good way to do it. So I can't really, yeah, it's just in case. Um, that being said, folks, before we leave out of here, I do have a toy corner real quick. Um, this is probably going to not show that well because of my my, uh, my virtual background that I'm not going to take off, so I apologize in advance. Uh, first off, uh, if you've seen my Instagram post, uh, let me just like... Blah. Oh, yeah, that's also going to show not great. So... Hey, look, there he is. Yeah, there he is. Okay, oh, oh, found it. Found it. Uh, you just got like right where your face is. There we go. That's weird. There it is. There it is. That's it. That's it. Yeah, but even if I put it up to my face, it's like, no, boss. Um, but yeah, Shang-Chi, Shang-Chi, uh, Marvel Legends just came out, or recently just came out. Um, I got it from Walmart for 15 bucks. And nice! Everybody's looking for it. Um, and they had a, they had uh, somebody else from the movie also in there. But um, there's that one. Um, I like it. It's cool. I don't know if I'm going to get any more out of this line or not. Yeah, I was about to say, you're not looking to build Mr. Hyde, so... No, I am not. So, that being that... I mean, that's how they sucker me into buying the whole wave, because I want to build the Build-A-Figure. True. Yeah, Mr. Hyde is not necessarily one of my um, go-tos, let's say. Now, unless I wanted to do uh, 
I, you know what? Not even then. I was about to say, not unless I wanted to do like that uh, under siege uh, storyline from um, from the Avengers, and I still wouldn't oh, have all the yeah. yeah, and I still wouldn't have all the pieces I would need to do that one justice. Uh, but also here you go. This one's actually showing up slightly better. Another Funko Pop is another Miles uh, Miles variant that uh, came out recently. So wait. Is that the video game? Is that from the video game? Um, I believe it is. Oops, I don't okay. want to show my. Um, Oh yeah, that's totally. I was gonna say you don't want your address up on. No, no, the no. Yeah, that's why I was like, let me not. I usually peel that off of there, so it shouldn't be showing. Um, in fact, it is not. Ha ha! Because I did. Ha ha! <laughs> Foresight. Um, but yeah, this is from the um, um, the uh, video game because it is the game reverse Miles Morales in the winter suit, as you can see. Okay. Um, and there's been a couple of variants uh, therein that. Uh, I don't know, went on pre-sale like a few months ago, and they're starting to come out with, uh, within the last couple of months. So there's probably no shortage of Miles Funko Pops of various degrees that are out there in the market right now. And I'm also apparently eyeing, because uh, I think that Captain Rex uh, came for sale, or came for pre-order, mm-hmm. um, which I'm thinking about getting. And there was a couple of Transformers also um, that are coming up, that it's including that big-ass arc but I don't have those, and I don't think I'm ever going to have those. <laughs> right. That's 160 bucks for that arc. Um, so it is of what it is on that one. But nevertheless, um, we are here at the end of this show. Did you have something you want to show, or is that we're good? You no, know, uh, you know, there's been a couple of uh, surprising Marvel Legends announcements um, that have come not from uh, Hasbro, but from uh, bloggers and uh instagram uh people who i guess have developed good relationships with hasbro and they have they themselves have done some reveals over the last week and change so it's interesting to see how these toy drops are uh coming out now so i guess we're going to be getting another x-men related wave of uh figures sooner rather than later mm-hmm. um yeah, it's you know it's an interesting time for 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 toys and action figures. You know, the, some of the prices have gone up, but at the same time, you know we're we're starting to get characters that we never thought we'd see. True, very true. You know, we're starting to get characters we never thought we'd see. So it's all it's it's an interesting time to be a toy collector. Yes, guard your pockets, folks. <laughs> definitely, definitely. I mean, the the villains wave I know is starting to hit stores. I know that uh, my pre order on Amazon isn't scheduled until august but uh they, those might start hitting sooner as they hit you know warehouses for distribution uh maybe in july or something so they might be right around the corner and i've got why, a little death strike on the way right and that's why i was afraid to either order that uh rex and uh the other transformer uh, i think it was reflector that was the other one i was looking for outside of that arc one it was like i could have the money by then so i could go ahead and pre-order or like you said that, that thing pops up earlier like it kind of have been <laughs> well, I mean, it all depends. Like, I know that there's an Omega Red reissue, which I'm thinking about getting because I don't, you know, like that that uh, for that Omega Red figure apparently got very popular. That Sauron build a figure, which came out with that Deadpool wave. One of the reasons why the Bishop I got was, you know, was a little bit um, uh, uh, above um, uh, regular prices because it's part of that uh, Sauron wave, which apparently was popular. You know, just harder to find. Right. You know, Bishop was one of the characters that uh, the figures that people wanted to buy, and uh, Mega Red was the other one. 
and Omega Red is just expensive now. I'm like, now they've done a reissue. I'm happy about that. Right. But um, I got to see, you know, how and when that's going to be distributed, and I'll just get that. I don't. Sauron wasn't one of the, the the high priority figures I wanted to build, even though you know, it'd be nice to to. He was a, even though he's not a mutant. I would have, you know, he became a, a member of the Brotherhood that was in the opening uh, story in X Force, Rob Liefeld's X Force. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and and Carl Lycos has played a long role in the history of the X Men. So, you know, it's uh, you know he's not, uh, you know, he, he recognized X Men with a lot of history, but it's not one of my top top ones. So, right, right, you know, yeah, yeah. Right. And I've built I've built build a figures for less, you know, <laughs> you know, like I, I've been less enthusiastic about build a figures. I was just like, you know what? I've got four out of five of these figures or five out of six of these figures. I can just get the sixth one and build a build a figure just for, you know, just for giggles. So I'm going to put this out there. I'm not saying you have to do this, but you might maybe maybe possibly think about it. You know, you have enough figures at this point and you get them relatively uh, often. That could be a thing you could stream. What's that? Uh, like either, well, particularly if you if you were like I guess building out the builder figure, you could probably do that, or just talking about the figures, you know, when you're getting at them. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I've thought about that. You know, we might go Instagram live, and I'll mm-hmm. I'll drag Roddy Cat in if there, if it's something we really want to do on a different stream. Yeah, you know, or, and you just know. make sure to uh, to put that up. Yep, on twitch.tv slash Comic Chronicles. You know, putting that out there also. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. You know, they, you know, we'll get, we can get. That's a, that's another way. You know, action figures, believe it or not, is a big thing on Instagram. So, yep. you know, we could definitely get some some views on that and 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 tag in some of these. You know, maybe even just me setting up these diorama. You know, these little uh, displays. Yep. You know, behind me, I've got uh, the X Men Gold and X Men Blue teams, as depicted by Jim Lee on his um, action figure. Uh, uh, I mean, on his um, a collect. Uh, uh, what call it? Uh, card set the x-men card set that he that he did so i'll be i'll be uh posting that over you know over the next several days so uh maybe i'll uh i'll do a quickie instagram live on that so we'll see yeah and on that note folks we have come uh to the end of the road and i can't let okay well um oh no it's unnatural it's unnatural um <laughs> shout out the boys <laughs> um which reminds me of something i need to send you probably but um anyway we um, appreciate each and every one of us, uh, one of you folks, for coming out here this week and putting up with our technical difficulties. Uh, damn you, OBS. That's all I'm going to say uh, on that. And I hope there's another update that's going to fix this update, or if that is the case, because that was kind of weird and unusual. Um, I have been Rodicat. You can find me at Rodicat on Twitter. You can find me at NewsNoseNeed on Twitter. You can find me at CBCaps on Instagram. It was unnatural, as the theme is now. Indeed. Um, uh, Agent underscore 70 on Twitter and Instagram. Because I was not going to finish singing that song. (laughs) Like, I know I started that, but I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Uh, PCN underscore dirt on Twitter, popculturenet on Twitter, popculturenet.com, and all those umbrella sites therein. Uh, also, probably bite uh, under comic reviews, no files. I have no idea if that's still a thing. Tim, D O G G 98 on Twitter, the Osiris is ish. Yeah, you can also find him at 
um, CB Cron, which is the Comic Book Chronicles Twitter account. You should definitely go check them out. Say, hey, how you doing? You know, you know, questions, comments, say, hey, we like you. Hey, you know, we don't like you as nuts, but I'm, but I'm going to tell all of my friends about you. That kind of stuff. I don't know. Make it nice. Be nice. We're sensitive. Uh, sure. Also, you can find... Let us know if you have any ideas, you know, any, 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 any ideas of, you know, stuff you want us to talk about. Yeah, there you go. All of that. CBCron or our respective uh, Twitter accounts, which, which we just mentioned. Um, but you can also find Tim over at The Click Nation on Twitter. That's D-K-L-I-Q-N-A-T-I-O-N, all one word. You can also find him at um, Comic Resources. That's CBR.com, where he's over there writing his face off. <laughs> Definitely go give uh, the man some clips. He's been busting it up. So, yeah, just shout out to, to, to the mans there. Uh, you can find this here podcast on um, your podcast perusal place of choice. Um, wait, I did say. Um, oh no, I didn't. Uh, you can find us at. Um, I'll say it again. Whatever you you can find us at the Coastal of the Podcast Network. That's CSPN US. Do it today. And you can also find us on the podcast personal place of choice, whether it be Google Play, aka Apple, uh, Google, or excuse me, Google Play, Apple iTunes, aka Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the Coastal Podcast Network's SoundCloud page. There's probably some other like um, podcast aggregators, uh, uh, aggregators out there that we're on, but you know, go to go to the ones we mentioned. <laughs> you know, hook us up, help us out. Um, also, you can find us recording live every Thursday night, 9.30-ish p.m. on either, well, on both, rather, uh, the YouTube channel of the, the Click Nation. That's uh, YouTube.com slash The Click Nation, spelled as I previously did before, or, and uh, Twitch.tv slash Comic Book Chronicles, all one word. And thanks for folks for showing up uh, and, and showing love uh, whether you're lurking or not in either one of those places. There it is. You know, if you tell your friends, uh, if you're, if you're so inclined, you know, um, you know, we're trying to get the, especially the, the Twitch channel, we're trying to get up uh, a little more so we can get to 50. So we can uh, start uploading some stuff. Um, but a couple of things needs to happen before uh, outside of that, but we still, still trying to push it along. Uh, but the audio version of this is coming will come out uh, later in the weekend, about usually around Saturday or Sunday on CSPN.us and other places. Um, next week, Loki starts on the next month, uh, the Wednesday before we um, before we uh, record. So, which means that more than likely we will have um, we will be talking about Loki on next week's show. Right, it'll be the day after, mm-hmm. so um, we're probably going to do our level best to not spoil everything, and we're also going to put up gigantic spoiler warnings before the Loki discussion, because not everybody has time on their Wednesday to watch it. So, In fact, I should do a little... On their Thursday, because we record on a Thursday, so... Right. In fact, I should... Because I have an audio um, spoiler tag, I should try to possibly do a video one. Like a little real quick uh, video one if I if I have the energy. Right. But either way, we're definitely going to warn you when we talk about it. So exactly. 
Um, and there's also one all before the uh, audio version of the show. Anyway, so if you if you come check us out on audio form, it's going to be there. And we, as uh, it just simply said, we definitely do still reiterate it at some point during the show. Exactly, because you may not be spoiled on the other stuff we're talking about, but you might be spoiled on Loki. So that general spoiler umbrella may not apply, you know, for for uh, to you. But a specific spoiler alert for Loki, we'll make sure to put it up. Absolutely. And with that, folks, this has been the Cumber Chronicles. Peace. Ace one. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe.